Rodney, welcome to uh, Uncut and Real Raw with Clinton Anderson. Great to have our guest here, Rodney Carrington. Thank you for coming, mate. Well, Rodney, I've got to be honest. I've been a fan of yours for 20 years. I've been to quite a few of your shows over the years. Had a blast. Usually I was kind of fucked up and drunk and listening, and I, I laughed my ass off. And it's great to have you here. I appreciate it, that's for sure. So uh, the last time I saw you, you were at uh, Fort Smith doing a, doing a show there. Yeah. And uh, pretty good crowd there, from what I remember. First time I've been there, it was a good crowd. And yeah. uh, we met behind the scenes, and you agreed to come on the podcast. The whole idea of this podcast is to interview people that basically came from nothing, uh -huh. worked their ass off, right. successful in their industry, you know, made some money, did well for themselves. Mm. We'll talk about some great things that went well, some fuck ups that didn't go so well, and, yeah. and people can learn from it. And my goal is to have people watch this and say, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world. If yeah. you can't get ahead in America, you can't get ahead in any damn country because it's a great country. And if you're willing to work hard enough and sacrifice and do the right shit, right. you can really get ahead. So uh, that's kind of the premise of it. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How, how did you get, well, first of all, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Longview, Texas. I was born there and... Um, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 54 54, now. okay, yeah. I'm 47, right on. Yeah, I grew up there. Uh, actually, we, I lived in Dallas for a, a short period of time. I, I was born in Longview. Yep. We moved to Dallas. My uh, parents divorced when I was about five years old. And then we, uh, I remember just a string of apartments and then we moved back to East Texas. And uh, I went to, I guess it was about F fourth and fifth grade in Gladewater, Texas, and then moved to Longview right. in about sixth grade on. Mm -hmm. And then I was there till, um, well, you know, I guess I started my so-called comedy career in 1989. So, so how I, old would you have been then, Mike? I was uh, 20. Okay. So did you grow up as a city kid, a country kid, horses, animals, bit of both? No, we were, we lived in... Um, we lived in uh, just a neighborhood, you know. Yeah. I went. To, I went to school. I went to school through tenth grade. I was, you know, I think I had the feeling of. I knew instinctively that I wasn't never going to be sitting behind a desk. Okay. Yep. You know, yep. I had done odd jobs from, you know, uh, f fifteen years old, working, you know, at a gym, and then I worked at a roofing houses and. You know all the stuff hauling hay and all yeah. the all the things that you would do that would help shape you as mm -hmm. as a you know as a man. Being, you st yeah. I started thinking to myself, there's got to be an easier way to make a living. Yeah, you know, yeah. at an early age. And then around the I guess it was around it was around tenth grade, tenth eleventh grade. They had a uh, uh, they had a deal that you could get out of school around eleven o'clock, go to work. Mm -hmm. Instead of staying in school, yep. you know, I found school to be sort of like, why do we, why are we here? Yes, you know? I can identify that one hundred percent. I always, I always felt that way. Yeah, and so, um, for me, it was very evident that I wasn't going to play sports for a living. Mm -hmm. You know, I stopped all that about tenth grade and and uh, started really thinking about what am I going to do with my life. And what were you thinking about back in those days? I wasn't thinking about. I wasn't thinking about anything specifically. Yeah. You know, I had... Uh, Other than really just getting out of school and trying something different. Just getting out yeah. and starting my life. Yeah. You know, I mean, what I remember was it seemed like a... School seemed <laughs> very much like a waste of time. Yeah. I always, you know, whenever I... Uh, 
whenever I was working, I was thinking, this is what I want to be doing is making money and get, yes. getting out, you know. My mother had been, you know, married five times by the time I was about 15, 16 years old. Okay. So my childhood and my, I didn't have any sort of. Structure? Structure yeah. or some, you know, male figure in my life throwing his arm around me going, this is what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this is how you do it. So, you know, much of my, you know, my, much of my life was a result of lack of planning. Really, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was just sort of going with my, with my guts. And, Intuition. Yeah. And so I, I, when I was, when I got out of school and I went to Kilgore Junior College in Kilgore, Texas, mm -hmm. and then... Um, I remember my... So you tried to do a couple of years of college. I did. I went to, took the basics and was just sort of going through the motions. Motion. Everybody expected her to do it, going through the motions, that kind of deal. Right. Everybody, it was whatever, you were either get, getting out of high school and putting your, uh, your application in out at Eastman Kodak, which was the big plant out there. Mm -hmm or you were going to college and figuring something out. Yeah. And I didn't have any th specifics that I was working towards. So I remember my girlfriend at the time was leaving to go to another college after the first semester. And she had asked me, she said, do you want to, are you, do you want to go, you know? And I, and I just remember going, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. And, and this was this, that very same moment. I remember she walked away. I looked over and across the, road and there was uh, the fine arts department mm -hmm. and I just walked across the street I walked in and I said I want to be an actor and hmm. uh, had th that ever crossed your mind before then or just literally popped in your head that fucking day like yeah what th it was just that day truly that day it just popped in your just head and you never, said I'm going to try something I, I was always interested in music I was always interested in you know I uh, Did anybody teach you at that age to play the guitar or musically? No. Did nobody got you down that direction at that age? No, I had a little piano at home that I, I learned enough little chords and things on that I knew, uh, you know, I, I just was fiddling with yes. stuff. I didn't even have the guitar at that, at that okay. I didn't play at that time. Okay. And so what theater, what I did was that when I got into there for the next couple of years, it was just a bunch of misfits. It was a bunch of people that came together that were, you know, that all came from kind of where I came from. It felt like home. It yes. felt like for after the, after the next, over those couple of years, I became really great friends with all these people who came from all these sort of broken yeah, broken home a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. Let me ask you: When you walked in there and said, "I want to be an actor," they welcomed you with open arms. They said, "Yeah, come on in." Like they didn't try to reject you or throw you away or ask you if you had acting experience. No, or... no. Uh, Mr. Caldwell, Raymond Caldwell, was the director at the time, and he said, "Have you ever done it before?" And I said, "No, no. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to find something I'm interested yeah. in, and this is something I'm interested in." And so from there, I went. I. I uh, the next couple of years, I remember getting into a play called Noises Off, and I had the lead role in that particular play, and I got to experience what it was like to be in front of an audience. Um, so you're uh, what, 20 now, 21? I was about 18, 19 years old. Okay. And um, and I felt the laughter from, from an audience standpoint, and I thought, I, I was asking uh, Mr. Caldwell, why aren't we taking this on the road and, and making money doing this? Mm -hmm. And he was... Uh, so people were digging it. They're, you know, at, at that small gig, people were laughing, they were into it. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were. And, and it was my first experience with, you know, a live audience and, and feeling what that felt like and thinking, wow, um, what else is there? Yeah. And so I started, I, I started thinking if I was going to be a, a good actor that I needed to free up any inhibitions that I may have. So mm -hmm. I took a, I, I took a modern dance class, which I, I didn't know anything. It wasn't because I had interest in dancing. Mm -hmm. It was because I uh, thought, well, it's just a bunch of girls, me and 26 <laughs> girls. The odds are in your favor, Rodney. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, if I can, I was opening my mind to what all the possibilities were. And I took this class and when, they, when I got in there, they asked me, what are you doing here? And I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was really the honest yeah. answer. I said, yeah. I'm just trying things to see what to, if I can free up any inhibitions and get rid of all fear, mm -hmm. I can, I could be better at what it is I was pursuing. That That's was, pretty that cool was right the whole there. idea. Yeah. And so from that point forward, I, I, uh, cutting to comedy became, there was a little place at a, at the Park Inn Hotel in Longview, Texas that had a comedy night. And I went and watched it and I thought, it was just guys that would come through a weekend uh, 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 comedy club, and uh, how many people would be? Hundred people? There would no. There wouldn't even be that many. There might be anywhere from probably fifty to seventy-five people. Okay. And so, um, and uh, I thought, man, I could do. I could try this. This is something else that would be terrifying. Yes. I'll I'll try this. So let's stop for a second there. You're, you're talking about shit that most people run away from. Like, it's terrifying, it's yeah. uncomfortable, but yeah. you run towards that. That's pretty cool. Did you just have that natural intuition to do that? Most people that are uncomfortable about something or don't like doing something or think they're going to get embarrassed want to run the other way. You yeah. know, as humans, we protect ourselves mentally, yeah. physically. But what you're talking about is it sounds a little scary, sounds a little bit mm -hmm. fucked up. I'm yeah. going to go do it until I get over this. Was that something that somebody taught you to do, natural intuition? No. Because that, you, you, do you at least admit that's not normal for humans to, to run to something that's uncomfortable to yeah. get over it? I think, we, most, I think most people do try to find something they're comfortable at. I kept thinking... But you were I, deliberately I, finding things you were uncomfortable with. That's I, the difference so far. Right. Is that you were picking things that you thought would make you uncomfortable well, and kept doing them till you got over it. Yeah, I thought that if I was going to be a good actor that I needed to free, I needed to face all any fear that I had. So I, I, everything was about trying anything and everything to get rid of any fear that I may have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember being, when I was younger, looking at uh, people that would travel in packs and groups, yeah. the most popular, this and that, and, and how they liked certain things. And I kept wondering why I wasn't interested in what the masses were interested yes. in. I remember that being a big part of um, growing up. Growing up, yeah. you know, I kept thinking, why am I not interested in what the music that they're interested in, or this mm -hmm. or that? And so, um, once uh, c comedy presented itself, I I had been in theater at that point in time, studying theater for the past couple of years. Were you enjoying that whole process? I right? was. Lo I was loving it. I was loving the fact that it was opening my mind up to. Um, something that I was really enjoying, something that I was, you know, that it when It sounds I, like you were kind of passionate about it. Very passionate about it. So this is the first time in your life that you've really found your, your freak flag. You found other people that came from some broken homes. Right. 
You all found a, a camaraderie. Right. right. You were passionate about it. You know, would it be silly to say you kind of found your, your group or your family of people that you really clicked with? Absolutely. I, I thought that they became family. I think yeah. that um, everybody was wanting the same thing. You were wanting some sort of acceptance from somewhere. I think a lot of that, looking back, came from... There was so much brokenness in my childhood and my family home Yes. that coming out of all of that and, you know, when one guy, new man would show up in my mother's life, you know, the instinct, you, you would just instinctively be like, oh, my God, what's this going to be and how yeah. long is this going to last? Yeah. And uh, none of them lasted any, you know, significant time. Significant time. And, and so, you know, looking back, trying to make sense of why I did it, because there wasn't any rhyme or reason. There wasn't anything that was driving it. There wasn't anybody that said, look at this, go do this. Yeah. I was just, I was just, I found it. I looked at, I want to do this. I want to try this. And if I'm going to try it, I want to be the best that I can be. And and so doing all these little things that scared me, that that, that I thought would free up any fear that I may have, was what led me down the road to stand-up comedy. And then stand-up comedy, when I got up the first night, I had... So you go, just back up. So you yeah. go to this little comedy show, uh -huh. you kind of dig it. It's like a mini play with one, one actor. Right. And you're thinking, okay, I might have a crack at this, correct? Right. I thought that, well, that's a, this is, this would be terrifying. Okay. But I thought, you know, uh, and I had no idea. There's no, uh, there's no, um, where to go to learn this yes craft this, yeah, nowhere and so coming up with ideas and whatever those ideas were or props and things like that um was only coming out of what i had learned in theater like what am i going to do how am i going to do that i don't know i i didn't know what i was going to do how i was going to do it i put together i didn't even know how much time i would be up there there wasn't anything that you that had to yeah you just go up and, and do a little guest spot and i remember I remember going there and, and being just absolutely terrified. And I got up and um, I did, I don't know, seven to 10 minutes and it was a blur, like a blur of- It just went quick. <laughs> very, very fast, very quick. Uh, I remember people laughing and feeling this sort of, um, it was an instantaneous- um, sort, sort of, yes, high, like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Right. And it was not even, um, um, there was not even a question at that point in time. Every single thing that was inside of me was, uh, at that point in time, I'm doing this. This is what I'm going to do. That's awesome. There so was, right then, kind of divine intervention fucking hit you. That, okay, this is cool. I want to do this. I don't really don't know what I'm doing because it's your first time doing right, it. Right. You're green, but you got that high from it. And you're like, okay, this is what I want to do. That's right. That's yeah. awesome. And, and, from, and then... After they laughed the first night, it seemed like I spent the next six to eight months trying to figure out what did I do the first night because it was just a, a, a never-ending struggle learning process. But it wasn't necessarily struggle isn't the right word because I was loving it even when it was terrible. Truly. Even when I sucked, I was going, okay, I got to figure this out. And so there Do you was... even remember, just for shits and giggles, any of the jokes you said back in that first set? Or you can't remember literally any of it. It was such a blur. No, because none of it was, uh, it was all, none of it went together. You know, it's, yeah, it's totally just, different than the way that yeah. I, that I work now, you know. So none of it went like, every, every bit of it was just bits and pieces. I had a, I had a, uh, there was a bit that I did where uh, I had a sandwich 
in a sandwich bag and it was called the seduction of a sandwich. It was the closing bit. Mm. And, it, and I had one of the girls in the theater class play the part of the sandwich on a tape and this music, soft music plays and, and I, uh, this is so pathetic, but. Uh, <laughs> See, this, this is the shit that people want to hear. This is so Because bad. we hear, we know you of the great comic you are now. It's and so the funny bad. motherfucker. Going back, and, and that's, what, that's what people love about the podcast. When guests come on here and we basically yeah. all admit, we all shit our pants when we have too much coffee. Yeah. We're all humans. We all right. pull our pants up the same way. Believe it or not, people will remember this part when you're going on now and laugh their was, ass off. And, and it's endearing because people, especially people of your caliber, we all start somewhere. You know what I mean? So keep going. Well, I, 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 it was basically a sand, two pieces of bread inside of a... A Ziploc bag, and I, and it was me having a, a relationship with a, you know, a, a sandwich. <laughs> right. You know, I, I thought that the the concept was that at that time was that the only two things that men think about. Of course, I was eight, nineteen, eighteen, yeah. nineteen years old. Was sex and food, and so that was the concept. And then I, it's I pretty would, accurate. <laughs> I would be at that. T yeah, at that it's time. pretty fucking accurate. Let's be honest. And so the music would play. I would talk to the sandwich, and ultimately she would. Uh, she, you know, it would, it was something like, you know, you know, you look, you're, you're cute. She's, I said, uh, she goes, it's kind of hot in the Ziploc and she's, and I was like, uh, well, what do you want me to do? And she's like, take it off. And, and it, it was this thing. Yeah. And ultimately I eat the sandwich and, yeah. and, uh, and that was the only thing that I had that was going. I mean, mm -hmm. it was the only sort of thing that, that people would really laugh hard at and everything else was just mix mash of God yeah. knows, God knows what. See Clinton Anderson and his Down Under Horsemanship Method live. Order tickets now for the Walkabout Tour in Denver, Colorado on July 29th and 30th and Conroe, Texas, November 4th and 5th. For ticket information, visit downunderhorsemanship.com. Did they pay you for that first gig? No, 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 nobody They give you a beer and a sandwich? You'd no. be lucky to be there? How have, they, how have they even let you on stage when you've never done this before? The guy asked me, he goes, can you, if you'll come DJ, there was a little bitty dance floor probably the size of this area, and um, if you'll come DJ, I'll pay you $25 to DJ, and you host the comedy shows when they come in. So mm. I would get to get up and do five, ten minutes or whatever, and then I would bring on the other comedians. And so it let, for about six months, I was able to have this regular time on stage of going up there. And and I remember... Uh, uh, so you, you got a place to develop your craft. You got a place where well, you could it was, start to practice. It only lasted six months because after that, they closed down. And okay. there was a guy that came in, a com another comedian. Well, just back up for just one yeah. second. So you get your second gig a week or two later... How often are you going on stage? You get your first gig. Oh, only t only a couple of times a week. Uh, um, for uh, just uh, wondering how much you know, how long till you get the next time on stage? A week later, two weeks later, a month no, later? No, it was uh, it was regularly for it was uh, every, it was probably three weekends out of the month, so maybe six times a month. Okay. You know, then I'd go home each week, and I was still going to college and trying to figure out what what I was going to do. What, and you're trying to find new material in between each gig or you can well, do the it was same a, routine? Yeah, I don't even know if I refer to it as material. I mean, if I could have juggled or whatever, if I'd <laughs> had any sort of of, uh, of talent. talent whatsoever, <laughs> if I could have, whatever it was, I was like, what else can I figure out to do? It was, right. And so, and it was excruciating because I'd write a bunch of stuff down and there's, 
there was no there was no template. I wasn't going off of anything. I was alone in this little tiny cabin in Kilgore, Texas, uh, trying to put all this stuff together. And then I'd go in the weekends and, and just die this horrible, these horrible <laughs> deaths. And there's nothing in life that you do that you suck at so that you're so shitty at yeah. that you keep doing <clears throat> unless there's something driving you to do it wrong with you yeah. I mean that's what I used, to, <laughs> I used to tell you know young guys that were starting out now I'd go well the first thing in order to be a comedian you have to you have to hate yourself you have to hate yourself <laughs> because you wouldn't ne- never put yourself through, through that. that uncomfortable feeling no it was terrible so, ba- so back when the other comedians were coming on would they mentor you? Could you ask them questions? Could you say, hey, listen, I'm Rodney. I'm yes. just getting started. Were they friendly to you? They treat you like the redheaded stepchild. Was there a camaraderie there behind stage? Tell me a little bit about that getting started. Like you said, there is no fucking template. I get yeah. that. But there are people that are already doing it. Right. And at this point, by the sounds of it, anybody's better than you. You, you know what I mean? Oh, You're yeah, just yeah. getting started. So yeah. were you asking other guys that are a season doing this? Hey, what do you think? Can you give me some tips? Was, yeah. was it helpful? Or you're not going that route. You're just strictly trying to figure it out by yourself. Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, I would talk to them if they would talk to me. But you were pretty, I'm getting the impression was, you were a little I was, shy. I was sort of, um, I knew my role at that point in time was just to go up and do my little thing and then bring them up. And then I was sort of, I felt like a, a I felt like I felt like I had slid into this little space that I could do my little thing and try to keep the peace and and then bring them up and then everything and then I'd go back to my little yeah did Whatever. you think they weren't very approachable to answer any of your questions or I don't know if, I don't know if they were there was one particular guy that Dan Merriman who um, came to me towards when this was uh, and he had came up to me as a result of that last little closing thing that I did after my little seven minutes and he said hey there I said is there any place that I can go after they close yeah. you know where can I go and he said uh well there's a place down in Baton Rouge and I can get you um, get you uh, uh, a showcase and so I went there I drove there with a buddy of mine that I was roofing houses with at the time yeah. And that was going to be my next question. What are you doing for money during this t- period of your life? How are you how are you feeding yourself? What are I, you doing? I was working at a Mexican food restaurant as a dishwasher in Kilgore. I was living in a, um, I was uh, tearing off roofs. I was doing whatever it does. Whatever the I fuck could. you could to make whatever a I could. Yeah. And um, and so I went I went to uh, the guy that I was roofing houses with drove with me down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and there's a funny bone. Um, comedy club there. Still there? I don't know if it is or not. Okay. But that was eight, 1989. Okay. Um, and uh, I went down and I did my seven minutes. Actually, before I, I got there, we went to, um, we stopped in New Orleans. We went to New Orleans. I go, there's a couple before I can go. I had a date that they had mm-hmm. set specific for me to come do this showcase. We went to New Orleans and we were on Bourbon Street and I'm how old are you now? Uh, uh, I was uh, 20 years old. Okay. And so um, uh, we were eating some food, and the guy at the bar on Bourbon Street's like, so what do you do? You know, and I'm like, I'm already going, well, I, I'm a comedian. I, I'm not anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm trying to do. And he's like, so uh, he goes, uh, well, you want to come up here tonight? There's going to be a band here. You can go up in between them, which, I, you know, to this day, I, I don't even know what he's I don't even thinking. know what he was thinking. I mean, <laughs> and so uh, 
I remember I just went, yeah. I, I mean, I would have done anything just to try to get up and do, do it, so. You were hungry. Yeah, I was very, I was very sort of like, I'm gonna figure this out. Yeah. I'm gonna do it. There was that, no that's, question. That's fucking passion. There you, was no question that I was gonna figure, fail. figure it out, yeah. you know? And you that, can't put that in people by Rodney. No. It was in you. You yeah. get what I'm trying to say? You can't yeah. put passion into people. It's either fucking in them yeah. or it's not. Well, I heard somebody say, and I don't know who it was, but they said that you don't pick comedy, comedy picks you. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and to some degree that was, to a large degree, that was really the case. It was sort of this thing of like, this is something that I can do that when you do it and you, you get a little piece of that laughter, it was like a, a drug. Yeah, it was really like acceptance. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it was like you felt like you were, you felt like somebody gave a shit. Shit, yes. And so uh, to me, in, in just a little small thing, yes. you know, looking back. And so um, I remember going up at that, that, getting there that night, the place was packed and it was built like a shotgun building. You know, you walk in and there's no mm. way in except the front door and back out the front door. And the guy, the band stopped and then the guy's like, all right, we got a guy coming up. And he didn't even, he's like, we got this guy, Randy <laughs> Carrington, you know. And, <laughs> And I go up and nobody's listening to shit. And I can see my buddy uh, Frankie over there drinking a beer. And I'm up on stage and nobody's listening. And I can feel my ears getting hot and my face is red. And I can just feel it. And, and it just, I just, I think I did 10 minutes. Uh, nobody, or whatever my little seven minutes was, nobody gave two shits. And I saw him just run out of the bar. <laughs> I, he just couldn't take it. He couldn't take he the couldn't embarrassment. Take he couldn't take it. I walked out after I, I, I walked off. Nobody clapped. Nobody said shit. And um, he goes, God damn, you sucked. You know, and, uh, and uh, you know, this was the thing that you, I was getting more of that. You're terrible. You're this. You're, you know. You're getting a bunch of fucking negativity, correct? Oh. And I, was that was that fucking with your head? Like, was it messing with no, you, or you just let it let a brush off you? Didn't even phase you. No, it wasn't. Well, it would phase you. You'd feel it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you knew. You, oh, I know you'd feel it in the moment. But yeah. when people are saying, "Hey, listen, this ain't your gig," you yeah. know what I mean? You're a good guy. You need to go roofing. Go stick to roofing because well, comedy's not your shit. Were a, people that blunt with you? If you're sucking that bad, were people that blunt or not? Well, absolutely, yeah, because when I went to Baton Rouge and did my showcase and the guy said, can you do 30 minutes? And I lied and I said, sure. And he had me back uh, two months later. He said, come back and you can, and I'll pay you. And this was the first time. Just, I, just back up a little bit. Let's yeah. go to the first show. So you get yeah. done with this little in, uh, you know, improv thing that you did that he put you on the spot, correct? Right. And then you yeah. go to the other one, the Bonefish one, for yeah. whatever Funny it's called, Funny yeah. Bone. And that's your first major gig, correct? That's the first time that somebody booked me to go to actually be paid to do comedy. To pay, did you remember what they paid you? $400. $400. bucks. So, how did you come up with 400 You pulled the figure I out of your ass? They I, just offered it. No, yeah, you don't get to pick back okay. then. You don't right get on. to choose. Yep. They, they tell you what you're getting and yep. you say yes or no. Yeah. And so, uh, so you, how did that gig go? Before we move on from that, uh -huh. how did that gig go? Did you tank? Did you do good? Did you have new material? The, the Funny Bone? Yes. Well, what I did was he, I quickly, I did, I went from new, that New Orleans down there, did the seven minutes. The guy said, can you do 30 minutes? I lied. I said, yes. He said, come back on this date. It was about two months later. I got there. I walked in. Uh, he said, here's your, where you're staying. This is the apartment you're staying in. There's another comedian that's already there. Here's the keys. Be back here at seven o'clock, whatever it was. And I drove over there and I walked in the uh, apartment and it was Steve Harvey. Was the oh, other, true? 
Really? Was the other comedian. <laughs> That's and amazing. This is the first guy I ever worked with. How old was he at that time? Oh, I don't know. I remember him being just, he was, he was always dressed impeccable. Even when he, in the morning, he, he was in like silk pajamas and just looked good <laughs> all the time. Did he have the big smile like he's got now? Oh yeah. Even yeah. from day one, big he fucking white He was always, teeth. he was, he had all his stuff spread out on this table and was, was just so important. And I was just, I had a notebook full of shit, <laughs> you know, and, and I just kept, and I rode with him every night in the back of this Hertz uh, rental car. And I just remember, and he had his, like this girlfriend that was just gorgeous. And he was just the way he is now. He yeah. just slicked up. Yeah, oh good. yeah. He looks the And, uh, but he was, uh, I remember the first night I went up and, uh, um, and I did try to stretch my seven minutes into 30 minutes. How so, the fuck do you do that, Rodney? Well, you don't. <laughs> you just, it's, it was terrible. It was, it was just deathly quiet, and, and I don't know how I got through it every night. I'd, uh, I walked off stage, and I remember Steve Harvey putting his arm around me and saying, <laughs> he goes, you know you're going to be all right. And I, and, uh, I said, uh, how do you figure? And he said, uh, anybody that can stand up there that long and people not laugh and you be okay with it. <laughs> I remember something to that effect. He said, you, you got a chip that I don't think anybody else has inside them or something to that degree. But every single night. That, that's pretty important. Every single night. What was, this is one of the things that I remember. Every single night, Steve was so gracious and kind. But he would get up and he, would, he was so good that it didn't, they would forget about me. They would mm. forget about how shitty I was because yeah. he was so good. Yeah. So he, in essence, saved Whatever day. he he would do his thing. Do you think Steve had a natural intuition to do this shit? Did, did he have a natural ability? Like, and everything in life is naturals that just kind of can do it well. Very much so. And, yeah. and people, even in my business, that weren't natural but had to work their ass off. You as well worked your ass off. You weren't naturally a good comedian as far as no. naturally starting out. Do you think Steve was naturally pretty good at his craft? He was very good. Yeah, yeah. he was very naturally good, naturally funny, but just a decent, wonderful. What, was he the first comedian yeah. uh, that you remember in your business that maybe tried to help you put put his own? No, he didn't. He he wasn't like the way he helped me was that. What I remember him is just being kind. Yeah. In the midst of my personal chaos. Yes. And at the end of that week, the the club owner, uh, the guy that booked me, pulled me in and he said, uh, "Close the door," <laughs> and uh, he said, "Sit down." And he's got a checkbook and he's writing the check out. And he says, uh, uh, he says, you're driving back to uh, Longview tonight? And I said, yes. He said, uh, when you get there tomorrow, you probably ought to find something else to do. He said, because you, you're terrible. And I said, the only reason I'm telling you this is because I like you. I think you're a good guy. I think there's probably something else for you to do in life. Yeah. And you, but this ain't it. You, yeah. you, I've been in this game a long time, and you're just, you're shit. <laughs> and then he gave me a check for $400. And I drove back. It was six and a half hours. And it's a very quiet, I remember it being very quiet and just the drudgery of being there all week and just stinking up the place and feeling this sort of... Uh, so each night didn't get better. It was no, a bomb every no, night. No, fuck, it got worse. It, <laughs> it, just, got worse. it couldn't have been any worse. <laughs> okay, right. And so uh, all I thought was that he paid me $400 and I was that, and I was shitty. Yep. How much money would he pay me if I got good at it? <laughs> Mixed with all of the drive and the undying and the passion to succeed, yeah, uh, that change that just that single decision really was uh, 
changed my whole life. I remember that being sort of a defining moment. Driving home from that because, gig. Because, I mean, when you're so terrible and somebody says to you, you, you really, and he said it with compassion. Yeah. You, you're terrible. You really need to figure something else. You're just not good at this. This mm. isn't your thing. And so, uh, and, and, uh, but I, I, I didn't listen to that. Mm -hmm. What was, there was something that was like, okay, I may be terrible. And I, and I, I, I and not even maybe, I know I'm terrible. Yeah. Uh, but, but there's a, I just felt like there was going to be a path forward. For so what I did at that point in time was I just go, what can I do? Not what can't I do? I go, mm. well, I'm just going to do 10 minutes. I'm not going to lie and tell anybody I can do 30 minutes again. So I, I, uh, I've called um, other places. See, see I like what you just said then. Instead of looking at the big picture, you just said, what can I fucking do? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I, I can't right. be this, but what, where can I... It, it, to me, it sounds like you started off with a starting point. What yeah. can I do? Right. That, that's a pretty powerful thing that you just said there. Instead of looking at the big picture and saying, okay, the big picture sucks. Yeah. Let's get rid of 90% of it. Let's focus on the 10% that I could do yeah. or do well or, or try right. to do with some success. That's, that's kind of well, a neat way of looking at that, Rodney. Yeah, because that decision, you know, I think the most powerful thing that any person has at their, in their possession is the ability to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Because a decision can change your life. Yeah. You know, and one good decision breeds another, breeds another, breeds another, and the same thing goes for bad decisions. Mm -hmm. But in that particular moment, this sort of feeling of, of uh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. My plan just became, I'm going to do with what I got as long wherever I can go. Yeah. And 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 after that, I started. I went to another place in Little Rock, a place I uh, called another uh, comedian that I had met through the beginning, and I I went up and. I started sort of trudging my way around everywhere and doing my little 10 minutes until my 10 minutes was something. Yes. Until it worked over time. And that was 1989. How old would you have been at this point, Roger? Well, I was, you know, I turned 21 right shortly after. I was 21 years old. You know, I remember I had a pickup truck that I had a camper shell on the back of that I remember I had a small apartment that I that I paid $232 for that I didn't have any electricity. And I had a, I had a, a little fan that operated on four D batteries and that was my <laughs> air conditioner. And uh, I remember pulling up one night and there was, a, there was a mattress that was leaning against the dumpster that mm. somebody, a twin mattress mm. that nobody wanted. And I saw that and I was like, that'll fit right back in the back of my truck. So I, I, I just, it was like two in the morning <laughs> and I opened the back and I stuck it in there and just slid right in there in the middle. And I, the next day I went and I got a sheet and just put it over it. And I slept in that truck for uh, four or five years. That's fucking awesome. And I drove anywhere and everywhere they'd have me back when you could. Yeah. You, know, you know, gas was like 70 cents. And, yeah. And um, uh, I remember... Everywhere I would be going. And, so but how, the thing would you, the, how would you get the next gig, though? That's, did you have to? You I don't was, have a booking agent. No. You're your own everything. You're doing everything yourself. So are you just are you getting a phone book and looking up comedy clubs within ten hour drive and saying, "Hey, my name's Rodney. You got a spot for me?" How are you getting this next gig? Is what I want to know. Well, I. So I, you kind of you, you honed your craft and you got your ten minutes. Correct. You got well, that kind of. I mean, down. the ten minutes came as I was calling and going anywhere they'd have me. Right. Okay. And there was enough shitty places 
That but they, they needed shitty comedians. They, they, they'd take whoever and whatever. So yeah. there was these things. You may have to, now you'd go somewhere and you'd do a, you may do your little bit. You may have 12 hours to drive right after to try to get to the next place. Oh, truly. And okay. so you'd get, you'd, I'd drive and then I'd pull over and crawl in the back and sleep and then I'd drive. And sometimes you'd get there an hour before you were starting that next night and you never knew where you were going. You'd end up in a place and they'd go, well, I go, well, where's the stage at? They go, there's, there's, there's no stage, there's a dance floor there and the cord only reaches from here to there. Yeah, so, so these are real shitholes. These aren't, these aren't, I just want to set right. this tone here. Real shitholes. These aren't big fucking comedy clubs and lights, camera, action. These are like little country bars, shitty bars, yeah. shitholes. Whatever. Whatever the fuck you, and are they Shit. paying you? Are you paying them? Yeah. Man? At that point, you would, you know, you could what make... What was the standard rate for you back in those days? I think that you would get maybe a, $125 a night, you know, uh, or, you know, or that's about what I remember getting, or you'd get 250 to 300 bucks for a weekend. For two nights, you'd stay. So you're staying you, stay, you stay in your truck. Where are they, you eating? Just truck stops? Where are you, where, how I was you eating? I was eating chicken and stars. You could drink, you could open chicken and stars Campbell's soup with a with a and drink it and that so it was uh, and and tuna fish and and pinto beans out of a can. Where are you showering? Where are you fucking doing laundry? Where well, the- I would shower whenever I'd get a free hotel room at some place that I would work because you sometimes you'd work at a at a Holiday Inn lounge. Okay. For a couple of nights, so you'd I'd shower there or whatever. But I mean, I would. I would, you know. You're basically you, you, a Connie, correct? Yeah. You're you're a full-on Connie. You're Joe Dirt. You're fucking on the road. You're just a Connie. Yeah, it was. Just, Did I get that right or wrong? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I I just here's the thing, I I never for a moment felt like I wasn't living Your the, best life. the greatest life. That's all. Awesome. Ever. So when somebody's like, well, back when you were struggling, well, I can look at it now and I can say, well, maybe back when I was struggling, but it wasn't ever a struggle. I don't remember it yeah. being a struggle because. It was something that was fun. That was just, uh, it was fun. Even when it was shitty, it was fun. But it was so, it, the, when it would go well, it was, it was like, oh, you know, there was this just a little bit of something that to would push you to the next yeah. place. And so every year became this sort of feeling of, of like, if I'm doing better this year, I'm, then I'll go to the next year. There was awesome. something that was driving. I would create these little things in my own mind. And everybody had an opinion in the early days about what you could or couldn't say, but I wasn't working the nicest places and you didn't really necessarily have this opportunity. Politically correct bullshit back yeah, in those days. Yeah, and, and there was no internet. There was nobody that could say anything. You weren't getting any immediate feedback, you know, other than what was... The laughter. If there were 75 people in there that hated you, they wasn't going to really fuck your career up. There were 75 people in the town. You were off and gone. Yeah. You know, they've never heard... They didn't even remember your name. <clears throat> yeah. So, so, so the good part about that, creativity-wise, you could go a lot of different places, correct? Oh, because you, could, you weren't restricted by politically correct talk, no, there wasn't. cancel culture, none of that bullshit even existed. Yeah, no. So theoretically, between your ears, you could make this go any direction you wanted to go. You could do whatever. And, and what happens is, is that the circumstances of where you were working, was for me, was dictating how, what I needed to do. You know, my to you would have to adapt to the situation. If I'm in, I can remember being in Dothan, Alabama, in in a, in a Holiday Inn lounge, and there's, you know, you got 300 drunk Marines. They don't want to hear jokes about a, a rabbit or, yes. or whatever else is. You know, yep. you really had to kind of figure out. What I was understanding was that I had to figure out 
who am I playing to and how do I appeal to these people? And you what, are these that, what are these kind of places that I was going to? And you to? had to do that on the fly, correct? Yeah, I wasn't necessarily, I, I didn't have some sort of preconceived idea about what I was going to be. It was being molded as I was going about what okay. it is, how I was going yeah. to. Uh, so the, the, the circumstances, the places that I was going, they were rough and kind of tumble places, they were dictating what I needed to do and I was making decisions based on where I was playing. Yeah. And so... How much time are you trying to play? 10 minutes, 30 minutes? What are you trying to play? Well, it moved time? from 10 minutes to 30, 20 minutes to 30 minutes and then the 30 minutes got strong and then I started working nicer places. And by the time I started, you know, the, these funny bones and all these comedy clubs, there was probably about 25 of those. You bet 25, Bonnie, 20, 25 23. improvs. By the time I was 25, I had done my first comedy album. Okay, so we're back up. Done. So you're, you're, what you're talking about now, uh -huh. now, you're what, 22, 23 in this area? Uh-huh. You getting any pussy on the road? Like, what's going on? Like, you got a girlfriend? What are you doing for that part of your life? You suck, but you're getting better. Well, yeah, I mean, you're... You're at a Holiday Inn. Is there some trashy trailer park girl there that thinks you're funny as there fuck? Was, like, what's there going was, on? Yeah, there was all kinds of that. There was plenty of that. <laughs> I love it. Was, so you're poor, was, you're eating tuna, you're getting some pussy at the Holiday Inn. Sleeping in my truck. <laughs> and sleeping in your truck, and you're a happy man. You're well, Yeah, you know, I mean, you're 20-something years old. It's like you've been, uh, you know, I'm seeing all of the country. I'd been living in this little town for yeah. my whole life, and so I go into, I'm going, in, it's not like I'm these are glamorous places mm -hmm. you know it really is like you're this just sort of nomad drifting and mm. you know and you know you know if you, if you met somebody if you met somebody it's because they saw you yes that's what i mean you know, you're meeting strangers completely and then it wasn't until you know during this time uh i was about 24 years old that i drove through tulsa oklahoma this guy begged me to go he's like please uh cw kendall was his name he's like please this is the last weekend it's open. And I was like, no, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm so sick of being out here. Um, you're on the road every weekend. Well, are you doing... Well, you'd, you'd, you'd get it. I'd try to book a bunch of stuff, and then I'd go drive out, and you'd try to... The routing was... It's not like you could pick where you were going. You may drive... You may be here one weekend, and you have you know, have to drive halfway across the country. So you don't have, by this stage of the game, you don't have a day job now, correct? You're trying to make your living from comedy. Yeah, well, what At I do. At some point, you got to pick a team, I was, correct? I was making enough to get to where I was going. You and had to stay out it. where, you, you had to stay out. Yeah. But when I'd go home, I'd have to go to the, work the Mexican food restaurant. I had a buddy that owned a yeah. Mexican food restaurant. Yeah. And I was doing whatever I could do just to get by at home. Yeah. And then I'd get enough and then I'd, put a string of weekends together, then I'd go back out. So if you lived on the road, you were basically stealing from Peter to pay Paul to get to the next gig. Oh yeah, it was just a never ending maneuvering. You're just maneuvering. Yeah. What do I got? How could I get by? I, I remember in my career, you know, when I started doing clinics, my attitude was if I could fly, if I, if I had three ladies that show up, my attitude was, I was so green and nobody knew of me. If I could get the airfare paid for or my travel, whether I drove or airfare, I went. Right. So if it was, if the airfare was five hundred dollars and I had two ladies that were going to give me five hundred, right. I went. That's so technically, I never made any money for th Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. But my attitude was, as long as I didn't lose money, I can lose sweat. That's I can get sweat again the next weekend. That's exactly how I treated. So three ladies, you know, two ladies showed up at five hundred. I treated them like gold, took yeah. care of them, right. made them feel like a million dollars. Next time, four ladies showed up. 
Yeah. I might have made a little bit. Right. Next, pe- I'm five people. And, you know, eventually it grew to, you know, 3,000 people. I don't never got the crowds in my peak that you get, of course. But the attitude of don't fucking quit going. Just keep going. I couldn't afford to lose money, though, because yes. I didn't have enough money to pay for the next day fee. Right. So my attitude was as long as I could break even, I was in the game. That's and exact- was that the same attitude you had? That's exactly what I did. I remember I remember. I, there was some place in Cincinnati, Ohio, paying me $365 to come up there and work six days. I saved up the money. The airfare was $365. I remember my dad drove me to the airport. I was really too, at that point in time, I, I didn't want my parents to think I wasn't doing well. I told my dad, I was walking to the tarmac. My dad was walking me down there, and I said, hey, Dad, can I, uh, can I borrow 20? Uh, you know, I, I've only got 20 bucks on me. Can I borrow another 20 when I get there, and I'll pay you back when I get back? And I remember him slapping me on the back going, ah, 20 will get you there. And I had shit nothing. Yeah. I didn't want him to think I didn't have nothing, yeah. but I have shit. I yeah. had 73 cents in my pocket. And I, I got on the plane and... and uh, um, so your parents weren't supportive of this whole comedy thing? By they, the didn't, th- I, they, were su- they were supportive the way any other parents would be, that you're driving around, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> What's this? What is this? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so they didn't really have any idea about what it was. Yeah. My dad didn't know anything about it until about, I'd been in it six years and I was in Las Vegas and my name was on a sign and I was opening for Carrot Top mm-hmm. at Bally's. And that's when he came out and was like, oh, okay, this, what this do you is do something for, working. What did he do for a living, your dad? He was, uh, uh, he built fences and decks and gazebos and, you know, worked okay. with his Handyman hands. kind uh-huh. of a guy. Yeah. Okay. Did, that, did you get some handyman skills from him? Did he teach you much of that shit? No, no, I didn't. He wasn't really in my life growing, okay. you know, growing up. He was living in Dallas. I lived in East Texas. He was, him and my mother divorced when I was five. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't really in my life. You know, I talked, I mean, before we talked, pretty regularly but uh and of course life is much that's 34 years ago yeah so uh but we i told him that story later on in life about how the 20 will get you there about how i didn't have shit and then i got on the plane i was a green bean you know i the lady comes down she's like what would you like to drink with your lunch and i'm so scared i didn't got a fucking nickel in my pocket i'm going i didn't have lunch she, and I, I can't afford it. And she's like, lunch is free. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Fuck, give me two. <laughs> yeah. Well, she comes over with the tray. It's got two baskets in there. And I grab it. She goes, you only get one. And I go, oh, shit. I, I didn't notice that there's... I don't know anything about anything. That's fair you know, enough. I'm just on the plane. Yeah. I, I got there. Uh, but exactly what you're talking about, if it, if it gave me... An, if I had an opportunity... You went. I went. And it didn't matter if I could break even. It wasn't even necessarily break even. It's like, can I get there and get back home, home yes. and, and pay my way and survive. Because to me, it was about surviving was like, that was secondary to doing it. Yeah. You know, S- surviving was uh, a, a byproduct of, you know, okay, I'm, do- I'm doing it. Can I get enough to get to the next place, mm-hmm. to the next place, to the next place? And, and, and by that was in 1989 was when I started. By 1995, I was headlining, you know, all these funny bones I had moved very quickly and it was sort of like from 30 minutes I had a really strong 30 minutes to where I would be in some clubs and they would flip-flop me and the other guy and and I moved into the headlining position and 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 just a couple of little things that's when I knew I was sort of I was kind of leapfrogging and and, so let me, let me ask you about, and I was getting another opportunity let me ask you about the content so 
Did you find your niche? You know, obviously your niche now is, you know, you can sing, you can play the guitar, yeah. you have a lot of fucking funny jokes, there's a lot of sexual innuendos and jokes and shit, and just fun, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But did you find your niche back then? Did you find, um, you get what I'm trying to say? Did you find a niche back then, or you were still kind of just going all the, over the, the place? The thing that I was doing that I was thinking about. Like when then, did the, the, the car, the, the, the guitar wasn't, and, the guitar came in, I was in Columbus, Georgia and I bought a guitar at a, at a pawn shop. And I learned, I taught myself through with a chord book, a couple of chords. And, um, and I was in, I took it up in Nebraska somewhere and I, I just wanted to show the audience that I had new chords. And uh, I was, yeah, for, for whatever reason, the, the club owner said, hey, uh, if you're gonna take that guitar up there, you might want to think about doing something funny with it, dumbass. That kind of—that's how he kind of told me, you know. Yeah. And so, and so, I started just writing little half ditties, you know, yeah. something to do, and then talk, and then da da da, and then talk, and and so that's how it sort of introduced. And then okay. more longer songs came on as I yes, as okay. I got. But better. in these early days that you're talking about, then it's not part of that act. That no, was, no, okay, no. But 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 the act was quicker, faster. It was, you know. I had it, you ha I had so many, I had those first four or five years, I was working so much that I was able to take out all the fat and it was really quick and it was really fast. It was really, a four, the laughter was every four to eight seconds. So, so it was boom, 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 so boom, boom. So let me ask, you got a 30 minute set here that's solid. Are you repeating the same 30 minute set club after club after club for a year? Like when do you have to change the material? Oh, you didn't have to, in the early days you just had to be if it was funny, it was funny. No, nobody was repeat customers. Not That's in, what I'm not getting in, at. So not, until, could, yes. not until, you know, in 1995, I did a, I recorded a record which I paid $800 for. And um, I started selling cassettes out of a suitcase. Mm -hmm. And so what, would, what was happening was I thought, well, if I can sell these cassettes, I would drag it right over after I'd finished my show and everybody would walk out and I'd sell them for... I was paying a dollar a piece and selling for ten bucks, and and um, and you sell one guy cassette tape, he puts it in his truck, he plays it for ten of his friends. Well, next time I'm in town, they all show up, and I sell all them. So it was this sort of network marketing type yep. sort of groundswell yep. that was going on. I was selling tapes, I was selling T-shirts, and this and that. And um, yeah, that was kind of the old days of going viral. Yeah, you know what I mean. That yeah. was what viral was before the fucking internet. Pretty much, but I didn't see. I didn't see anybody else. I, there was a couple of other people doing it, but but I didn't see a lot of people. You know, really, mm -hmm. that wasn't. I was treating it like a, like you would treat a shoe store. Mm -hmm. You know, I was treating my business like a mom and pop business. Yeah. How do you know what it takes to become successful? Talk to someone who's done it. Clinton Anderson became a multimillionaire by leveraging his passion for horse training into a global brand and media empire, starting with nothing but the change in his pocket and the will to succeed. In doing so, he revolutionized an industry and became a celebrity. Now, you can put his experience and advice to work for your business. With Clinton Anderson's business consultancy, you can tap into Clinton's unique perspective, hear his straight talk, and get his no-nonsense advice. Just imagine yourself armed with Clinton's hard-earned knowledge and entrepreneurial spirit. So whether you own a ranch or any sort of business at all, we invite you to discover the transformative power of Clinton Anderson's leadership and innovation in your business.
Call 1-888-287-7432 to take your business to the next level today. You know, Rodney, before we get into this next part, you just got balls of steel, motherfucker. Like, to, to put up with that much, basically, negativity, yeah. that the crowd's being negativity, they're not laughing. Now, back in the early, you know, when you're getting started, the crowd's not laughing at you. Yeah. The comedy club owner's saying, boy, you're a good guy, but yeah. you kind of suck. Well, you do suck. You've got to go roofing houses. Yeah. Your parents aren't supporting you. Mm-hmm. You've really got no, from what I'm gathering, unless I'm missing something, you've got no real positive influence in your life telling you keep going boy keep doing this you no. can do this it's in your head well the things that the, did i get that right or wrong no well i mean there was a lot of that but the things that were the the thing that was driving all of it was that the audiences the the little successes along the way, the way it wasn't like it was all hell yeah there was it was so it, if you got 30 seconds of laughter out of a seven minute gig that six and a half minutes yeah that sucked, was shitty at six and a half minutes was shitty, yeah. and you got 30 seconds of laughter. That was just enough of a fucking adrenaline high to, to make you keep going. Yeah, well, yeah, it was basically like if, if it was getting a little bit better every time, and there was, there was always something that was driving the next thing to driving the next thing. By the time I started to the time I got to 19, when I made the first album in 95, well, by then, that was a, uh, I had enough sort of confidence in myself that I go, I have something that people are are yeah. buying into. Um, at that time, you know, you know, much of the, there was a guy that was taking 15% from me for booking, and, or 15% from me for management, and 10% from me for booking, which I didn't know, it turned out to be illegal at the time. Yeah. The same guy taking the same thing. But I learned some valuable lessons at that point in time. By then I was building, I had enough clubs and enough places to go where I, I was making a, a, a living. Yeah. And so, but I, but he was taking 25% of my pay and at some point I'd had enough and said, okay, this is, this is going to end. And that was a good thing because it, it sort of taught me what was, what was behind the scenes. And so at that point in time, I started cutting better deals for myself because I was, I was really had gained some momentum. Through some yeah, a little tapes, more leverage. Had a little more leverage and this and that. And and then by by 97, uh, 98, I had gone on uh, a morning show, the Bob and Tom show in Indianapolis, where Mercury Records had heard uh, heard me one morning, and then I met with them, and and I was already full of piss and vinegar at that point in time. How I was, old are you now? I was 20... Probably 26, 27 years old. When, when did the cowboy hat and the kind of country lifestyle come into it? You know. Well, I you, mean, the cowboy hat I had been wearing most of all the time. That the, was my, part of your gig the cowboy the hat I was wearing because I was well. I'd always wore jeans and boots growing up in East Texas. Yes. It wasn't anything. For the cowboy hat became something for. Uh, what's going to set me? What. It was Roar of, I put it on, I went up with it one night, people, somebody said something about uh, remembering me. Yeah. And and so it was really, to me it was, uh, it wasn't necessarily something that was thought of. I just wore it, I went up on stage, I kept wearing it, I kept wearing it, and people would, it would, everybody, nobody else, it was, was really, that. it was really about. Setting yourself apart. It was really about some, well, they'll remember me. Whatever it is to set myself apart from what else was going on was really sort of, uh, sort of my 
thought process, yeah. I guess. There wasn't really anything that major that made that happen. It, yeah, just, it just kind of evolved. It just evolved. So before we took the break, you were going to bring up a manager or somebody. Yeah, I said. Wh who was that again? Well, I won't tell you his name, but okay. But he, yeah, he he was he had he would he had taken enough to where I was like I can't take this shit no more, and uh, I said. So I, what I'm okay, but what yeah. I'm trying to get at is at this we've been talking about you've been booking all your own shit. Uh -huh. You're starting to get some momentum. Uh -huh. You got 30 minutes of really good shit. It's on track. People are laughing, etc. Mm -hmm. Did somebody approach you and say, "Hey, you can't do he it all came yourself"? In, he came in and said, "Hey." He was booking a lot of these one-nighters, and then he, he came in and said, why don't you let me handle your stuff, and I'll get you in all these other bigger clubs. Well, he was, but he, he was taking 25%. Yeah. So, uh, and that went on for a couple of years, and then at some point I just go, I can't do this. I can't. Yeah. yeah this isn't really working for me. It's, it seems lopsided. And, but he was instrumental in opening the doors to other places, yeah. to bigger rooms, and then... Once I got in, so you doing more than thirty minutes in these? Oh days? yeah, by now I'm doing forty five minutes to an hour, and and um, you doing the same routine week after week, or you got to change it pretty regularly? I think for the first ten years, from about, from about, well, I'd say for the first seven years at least, there was I was sort of honing the first forty five yeah. minutes, whatever that was. I recorded that in ninety five, and then in ninety seven, ninety eight, I got a record deal with Mercury Records. And my the material was all somewhat different, mm -hmm. um, and I had been working steady. It was that point in time that I had done the Bob and Tom radio show. I had met uh, a new manager guy that I couldn't stand. We could I couldn't stand him, but he had good ideas. He came. He had some other things that I was. Um, How old are you? I was, you know, like I said, I was probably 27, 28 okay. years old. Still under thirty. Yeah. You married, not married, got. Oh, kids. I'm married. I was married. I had. Okay, I was married. When did you get married? Ninety-four. Ninety-four. I I got married, and had a baby. I well, I had a. You know, she got pregnant. We got married, and um, and then um, and I was tr just leaving and coming home and. Okay. Come leaving. So and you got a little home. more pressure now. You got a family to. Oh, there's no messing around. Yeah. You got to make this work. Yeah. This was the driving. This this was now driving th everything. Right. It was now, it was, uh, I had enough of a foundation built, but that was driving everything at that point in time. It was yeah. like, there's no fucking around now. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta feed I gotta some figure two this, people. I gotta, gotta figure this out, people, yeah. right. <clears throat> and so, with that, things started just falling into place. I started, I did the Bob and Tom show, they were in 10 markets. Um, was it a comedy kind of radio show? What was it? Was it was just a morning show out of Indianapolis. I did a morning show, they were in about 10 markets. Uh, I was going to. I went into those ten markets. I started noticing people showing up, knowing what Who it is I was, what I was doing. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I also, at that point in time, was approached by Mercury Records. I had a record deal, didn't know what to do, and now it was so big I couldn't do it all on my own. Yeah. And so when I, you were on the, that radio show, were you? Did you do like a thirty-minute bit or just an interview? Like I did this? everything. I I did everything. Anything they could do. I did everything. I did my whole show. Yeah. I did everything. I sang every song. I go, well, I got this song. This is the only one I have left. Yeah. You know, I did everything down to that. <clears throat> and I didn't, because I had nothing to lose. Yes. <clears throat> I had it nothing sounds like to lose. this is the first major platform you had. You know, as like, far as really getting out to the, you know, <clears throat> I have a saying, you can't get rich with your own two hands. So the people that you could directly talk to, yeah. you, you could only get so much money from them. It sounds like this market, that radio show, gave you a lot more ears. Yeah. 
that could listen to you, which potentially gave you a, a bigger break. Was that right or wrong? Yeah, and I had, but I was doing other radio shows in different markets. Okay. But I didn't know who was what radio show was what. I yeah. didn't know what syndicated radio was. I didn't know any of that. Because after they were in 10 markets, within a year and, and, and a half, they were in 110 markets, mm -hmm. and they were playing me everywhere. And so, you know, but at the same time, behind the scenes, I had a record deal. I now had this. How'd you get the record deal? How'd that I, they heard about? me on Bob and Tom. They came to, to, to Little Rock. You were living in Little Rock? Nope, nope. I was at a show in Little Rock, doing a show in Little Rock. They show up, they're the two record executives. I was like, you don't want me. I'm, you know, by then Jeff Foxworthy had his thing out, and Jeff Foxworthy was the only game in town. Mm -hmm. Are you two about the same age? No, he's older than okay. me. Okay. And, uh, and uh, I was. I was think I was just like, well, what's it? What's the record deal even mean? You know, I I didn't. Yeah, you wanna, don't sing. You don't sing. I didn't. I, well, first off, my material wasn't. I was like, how are you going to market this? How are you going to sell this? Or whatever. What, what are you going to do? What does it even mean? I didn't even. I didn't know what it meant. But when I met <clears throat> my manager at the time, then who came in, he flew to a buddy of mine, <clears throat> Barry Martin. Um. I asked him, I said, man, I got so much shit going on, I can't keep up with it now. I got to find somebody to help me. And he said, well, why don't you talk to my manager? And I told Barry, I said, well, if he's managing you, how, fuck, how good can he be? You know, I tell you, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not doing shit, you know. And so, uh, Perfectly fucking logical, yeah, Rodney, you know yeah. what I mean? It makes sense. But, you know, I mean, Barry was doing something. We were incredibly great friends. We yep. were like brothers. And I remember us laughing back and forth. I said, just talk to him. And he came to talk to me. And, and he was also uh, managing, he had just got through out of managing B.J. Thomas and bringing his career kind of out of, uh, out of a right. scenario, uh, you know, where it was. And so he had some sort of, he had ideas about what could be done. But what we started doing was we started going into some of these places where they affiliates were, where there was no comedy clubs, mm -hmm. affiliates of the Bob and Tom show, and we were, we started building this grassroots, these sort of putting these shows on through the affiliates. Rodney Carrington, guest from the Bob and Tom show, and we would give them a percentage of what was called non-traditional revenue shows, a percentage of whatever they, the door would bring in, and so I go from making what I was making in a comedy club in a, in a whole week to making three times that to four times that in a night. And Are we so, talking about three or four grand here? Five well, grand, you go from, grand? you, you went from, you know, the first time I went out on, you know, you know, I think I was making a couple of thousand dollars a week and then I made $12,000 in one night and I'm going, what the holy fuck? Yeah, what the fuck? I remember being yeah. in the van going, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I felt like we had robbed a bank. <laughs> You got to have fun, make people laugh, and they gave you twelve thousand fucking dollars. Yeah, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We made twelve thousand dollars, and then it wasn't. Then there were a couple of weeks later, we made like twenty six thousand dollars, and I was just, it was just these little, and you know, coming from scrounging to yes. fu to fuck to, to all the things to getting that world. point. I can't believe, and then you go pay taxes and they take half of it and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> that's when you start paying attention to politics. That's when you start yes. paying attention to People that. ask me, I'm a big yeah. politic now, and yeah. they say, when did you get interested in politics? When, when I started looking at my fucking taxes. Yeah, yeah. That's when I started getting involved yes. in politics is that's when I started realizing all my hard-earned money, yeah. where the fuck it goes. Yeah, when I, you're broke, you don't care about politics because you don't lose anything. You have nothing to when lose. When you start making some money and you start having to pay taxes, that's when you give a shit about politics. That's, Am I right or wrong? Absolutely. 
absolutely. I remember yeah. saying to my the accountant at the time, I go, well, how the fuck does anybody get ahead? <laughs> the more you make, the more they take. What yeah. the kind of bullshit is this? I yeah. mean, it was like, it was infuriating. Yes. Because you keep going up the ladder and then you finally get some success. You finally think you're going to do good. And they go, I don't think so. Yeah, motherfucker. You don't need that yeah. much, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so these were little things as a young man that any young man who's come up and had any sort of so business. So how old are you now? You've got 12 grand one weekend, 26 the next. Uh, that was now? probably around, that was when, that was 90, the 97, 98, 99 period, you know. But it, it just went. What, are you 30, 35? Started, no, no, no. I'm 27, 28, okay. 29 years old. And you got one kid at this point. I got two. Two. Uh, Motherfucker, George, you don't know what contraceptives George, are? George came along at th when I was 30. Are you so. trying to have this family? Or are you By just shooting blanks? Or no, what we're fuck? just doing whatever. You're By just... now we're married. <laughs> we had one. and um, You're not really thinking about the future here. You're just fucking. I'm not <laughs> thinking. It, well, the, what's happening is I'm so busy. And yeah. so everything is going. I'm so uh, crazy at the time that there was no real plan. There was nothing that was going on. We were, you know. I was barely seeing my wife at the mm -hmm. time. You know. She have a day job. What was she doing to stay busy? She raising was just, kids? No, she was just raising the kids. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, if she had a job, she had a job for a small period of time, but we'd put the kids in daycare and her check was paying the kids in daycare. I go, this makes no fucking sense. Yeah, yeah. Some of was raising my kids. Yeah. So we just, you know, we figured out that that wouldn't work. And, um, was she supportive of you being on the road? Did she get the bigger picture? Well, she, yeah, she didn't have a choice. I mean, I yeah. go, look, this is it. This is how we're paying the This bills. is what we're doing. This yeah. is what I'm doing. I told yeah. her from the get-go when I met her. I go, look, this is what I'm doing. Uh, if you're okay with it, we'll, you know. Yeah. And we, she was as, uh, she was as dumb as I was. Yeah. Really, quite frankly, we were two young yes. kids who got together who. That's, and that same thing with my first one. We, we didn't know the difference between love and lust. No. And we're just a couple of dumb kids. But, yeah. you know, to be honest with you, Rodney, even though we're at that age with dumb kids, I think it's some of that fucking dumbness that makes you, that makes you keep going. Yeah. Because if you're a smart man, you'd say, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. But at that age, you got more energy than what you have brains. you yes. got bigger dreams than what you have mm -hmm. sense. And mm -hmm. you just fucking go do it. Like people say, how did you get from America to uh, Australia to America? Fucking four hundred dollars. That's how I got here. Yeah. You know what I mean? What did yeah. you bring with you? I had a pair of boots and a fucking hat and a bridle. Right. You know what I mean? Well, isn't yeah. that risky? No, I had nothing to risk. Yeah. I had nothing to lose. It's like when you're poor, you're a big gambler. Because yeah. what the fuck are you gonna lose? Yeah, there, was there is no nothing to lose. Nothing. I, for me, at least personally, as I got more wealthier, I got a lot more protective of not losing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when you're young and you're poor and you're fucking dumb, you'll gamble anything because you got nothing to lose. Absolutely. You're dangerous yeah. at that point, aren't you? Yeah, dangerous, but also, too, if you're not throwing darts, you're not playing the game. Yes. If you're not doing, if you're not really kind of taking chances. And when I say taking I mean, I remember paying for the first record that was 800 bucks. Well, that record went on to make over a million dollars. That one little yes. bitty record that I was going, what the fuck? I, yeah. 800 bucks? How yeah. can I, you know? That thing went on and, and did, you know, mm -hmm. what it did. And, and uh, um, you know, we once once we started these sort of little, I told my, my manager at the time, Michael. I said, "Let me tell you something." Did you, you can, get along with him? Did you? Him well, I mean, my, what what it what it occurred at that point in time was, you know, he came into my life and I said, "There's no fucking chance you're managing me. I don't even like you." Yeah. And uh, he kept coming to Tulsa, and we kept talking. And I said, "Here's the deal," because I, I realized at that point in time, I go, "If you're going to take any percentage of what it is I make at my discretion, all expenses are going to come off the top. You're going to get a percentage of what I make after yes. the fact." And so 
my, I learned, this became my business model as like I was running a plumbing business. Yeah. I go, it was not by any shape or form like what was considered industry standard, which I grew to hate that, the term industry mm -hmm. standard. If anybody said industry standard, I got up and walked out of the room. Yeah. Like, I don't give a fuck about industry standard. Yeah, you were rowing your own boat. I, I was just going in my own direction. You know, everybody was putting together 20 minutes and moving to Los Angeles and hinging their whole career on whether or not they got a television deal. And at that time, there were four networks. That's all there was. And to me, I go, I'm going to go to Los Angeles, and there's four guys running four networks, and I'm going to hinge my whole life on whether four guys. So my goal was... And this became something that was became real simple. I go, I don't need, I realized, I go, I don't need, I'm not trying to get anybody else's audience. I go, I just need a million people. This is, was my little simple thing. I go, I'm going to find a million people who really like me yeah. to give me $10 a year in the form of a tape, T-shirt, bumper sticker, whatever the yeah. hat, whatever I'm selling. And I'm going to just... There's 350 million people in this country. I can surely find a million, mm. and I'm just going to travel around. And I know it was sort of a, I know it's sort of a loose idea, to think it that. Makes sense. It but makes but sense. it was really just sort of. A, Ten million dollars, whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever you yeah. go, you just go get a million people that really like you, and 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 somebody, James Gregory actually told me. He said, "Well, what are you going to do if you don't get a TV deal? How are you going to make this work for a long period of time?" And that sort of made sense to me. It just sort of you have to run it. You know, it became apparent to me, I have to run this like a business and yes. figure out how this is going to work. And so what worked What worked in that is that when Michael said, okay, well, we can do that, um, we were like a married couple. So whenever the money would come off the, you know, the, all the expenses, whatever it was along the way we were doing was coming off. Well, that was in every deal that we did, mm -hmm. you know, you know everything that we were doing, mm -hmm. so we it tied us together, and we both cared about what we were doing. Yeah. And it also made him sort of uh, financially sort of set responsible in the fact that hey, we got to keep these expenses to a certain yes. degree. Yeah. Because when somebody's just taking ten or fifteen percent off, yes. they don't give a shit. That's exactly. They don't right. care about anything. Who who is the so you're kind of getting popular now, Rodney? Who are the who are the big dogs as far as who's the best in comedy at that era of your life? Like oh, I don't. You know, is there anybody that you're saying, okay, I've got a, is there any guys of that? No. There's different levels to every industry, you know, and you started down the bottom. You're climbing the ranks. Right. And obviously, as you're climbing the ranks, there's already people up the top that have been successful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're climbing the ranks and going, are you trying to get to the top of the ladder or you're just trying to make a living? Are you trying no, to beat I'm, anybody? No, I'm not looking at other people. I'm okay. not, I'm not watching other, I'm not looking at other people and watching other people. Right. I don't, I'm not. Thinking about what anybody did else anybody doing. else have a business model that you thought was good in the comedy world? I didn't talk to anybody. Okay. I mean, if I see him once, I moved out of the comedy clubs. I never saw anybody ever again. Okay. Fair and enough. so the success that the success, I kept thinking that if you do, if you're successful out here and you build your audience, mm -hmm. that all the other things will come along. Yes. Which is what happened. Which is where television came along. Which is how all the other little things that occurred. How more records, more, you know, anything. It mm -hmm. was the success. You become successful and everything else will take care of itself, yep, yep. you know? Clinton's grabbing a cocktail and we'll be right back. Get yourself one and enjoy this short clip. Nothing would please them more than to see this old piece of shit in a coffin. Oh, they want to drive a steel knife down a stupid fucking throat and they talk 
Next hater, we have Phil Smith. You are a great trainer. You need to clean up your mouth. Talk like you are talking to your mother. Well, Phil, you clearly don't know my fucking mother because she swears way more than me and makes me embarrassed, okay? But here's the difference, Phil. Here's the great thing about America. If you don't like me, Phil, you don't have to listen to me. Have a wonderful day. Where did you, what made you stay in Tulsa? Like, how did well, you Well, my kids were there? born there. I didn't really have a choice. Did you, have, you didn't have family there. Was you? Was well, my wife, wife was from there. there. Okay, yeah. so your wife's family were from there. That's how yeah. you ended up. I'm trying to figure out the connection of that's how, East Texas to Tulsa. Yeah, that's how when I, the guy who booked that, and I went through Tulsa the first night, the last club, you know, mm -hmm. it was open, you know. Remember mm -hmm. when he was like, okay, please go there. Mm -hmm. Just one, work this yeah. one time. It's not, it'll be closed. You won't, you won't ever have to go back there. Well, I went there the first night. They didn't even have anybody. They didn't have a show. Nobody showed up. The next night, there were 11 people. There was a cocktail waitress in there. I, I told the bartender, I said, that's, she's good looking. And he said, that's my girlfriend. I was like, oh, well, she's pretty. <laughs> and then about 15 minutes later, her twin sister walked in. And I went, well, shit, there's two of them. You know, you're not dating. And that's a true right? story. Yeah. And so that was, and then so I, the she, the woman that came in after the fact became my wife. You know, I she, okay. she got uh, pregnant, and we were that was in July, and we were married September 25th. Okay. That's how fast it happened. Yeah. I don't recommend that. By the way. <laughs> It'll fuck up a man's It'll, checkbook after just a while. Everything, yeah. but 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 to some degree, you know, all these little things that were happening, you know, when when I got married and I had kids, it ramped everything up. It gave me now this sort of sense of urgency to sort of figure this out even to a bigger degree. Yes. Which is where I really started thinking about the business aspects of it, which is where most of my decision-making when somebody was coming into my business life, what am I gonna do? How, yeah. do, how are they going to fit and how are we going to fit long term? Mm -hmm. And everybody had to have skin in the game. Yes. And so, They're the best deals. When, when people don't have skin in the deal, Ronnie, yeah. it doesn't work. No, it didn't Everybody's got to have something to lose if it fucks up and everybody's got to have something to gain if it goes well. That's right. The best deals is when everybody's got skin in the game. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. Yes. And I knew early on that nobody really gave a shit. Once, if you, if you couldn't pull the numbers or you couldn't do the deal, or you couldn't do it, you couldn't fill the shoes or... Mm -hmm. You couldn't sell the tickets. That none of it was going to matter anyway. That's so right. you better cut some. You better make sure that whoever's going with you, you're going with them for the right reasons. So you're getting good momentum. You, you know. So other people are trying to go to LA and get some TV deals mm -hmm. going. You said, "Fuck it, I'm not going to hedge everything on that." No. You want to still keep traveling the country, doing what you're doing. Or, or you know, where are we in this stage of your career? Is it going where well, you're doing your own private gigs now, or yeah. still comedy clubs? Or where are we at this point? Well, after I guess by 2000, we were sort of doing. We started going to big honky tonks. We started like Billy some, Ball, something, something like totally that. different. Yeah, places okay. like that. Um, my show was built for that. At that time, I had. Bob Hoban, my piano player, who was traveling with me, you know, the show was kind of quick and fast and ruckus and sort of... When did you bring in the piano? He came in in about, I guess it was about 95. What made that idea come to head? We, I was in Nashville working a comedy club. He was there playing piano, and he played along with me one night. and Just goofing off, basically, just, just fucking around. He was just house piano guy, yeah. and he played along with me in the songs, and I... You know, I think that New Year's Eve, I said, hey, I'm doing something in Birmingham. Do you want to come down? And he said, sure, I'll come down. He came down, and then uh, 
we did two nights. We had a great time together. And I go, what are you doing next week? And then it just never ended. And he was with me, you know, 25 years. That's awesome. And um, and so moving into Conky Tonks was something nobody had done for, as far as comedy was concerned. Mm -hmm. They were fuck people are standing up they're drinking it's loud it's fucking you know mm -hmm. chaos but the show was that you know yes, it lent, it, it that, lent yes. itself to that yes and so, so so do you think that's the evolution of your your show do you think it changed at that point the comedy the jokes the storylines was that a big pivotal point when you got into the bars and those honky tonks mm -hmm. was that where that changed was the, was the show was the show previous to that a different type of show, different type of humor. No. You know what I'm trying to ask you here? Yeah, I'm trying to no. say, when did it, because I love that you're kind of fucking, you're funny as fuck, you're raunchy, you're, you're politically you know, incorrect. You say the shit that people tell, say that you're not supposed uh -huh. to say, which makes it fucking funny, because uh -huh. every joke has some truth to it, okay? I'm yeah. just trying to wonder, at that point, did the comedy theme change when you got into those venues, or you stayed on the same line? No, it was just, you know, it was, Everything was working, so yes. there was nothing to change. Yep. It was really just sort of, uh, we just, start, we got away with more, you know, we started doing, I think, a little more music and sort of kind of ramping it up with the back and forth with the audience. And and uh, it just was sort of the perfect timing for that. Mm -hmm. You know, having the success in the honky-tonks led to theaters, led to some arenas and things like that. Any it's, negative to go into those honky-tonk bars? Any, any negative that, that you can think of? No, they're. I mean, are drunk people better to do a show for than sober people? Not, not, not anymore. No. Okay. Tell um, me why. I mean, back then, it, back then you don't really have none of that's really uh, none of that's really um, an issue at that time. The show was fast enough, quick enough. Nobody was inter was sort of interrupting anything that was going no, on no, in my world. Was shit like that. I mean, people would holler shit out. That, yeah. That's that, that happened since the beginning of time. But, but. Uh, you know, there was nothing that wasn't, that I couldn't, that I wasn't handling throughout all that stuff, you know. When I got into theaters, it became more of an opportunity to sort of tell stories, mm -hmm. to slow things down, you know, over time. And so, you know, we moved up, we, we sort of the, ran the honky-tonks wherever we, we went anywhere. And that you know, would, we'd be doing theaters, we, we had a nice mixture of a lot of different things that were going on. Did the honky-tonks pay better than the theaters? Oh, I mean, shit, it was all, it was all, uh, I think it just, you know, every place was different, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you traveling in a bus, you traveling by jet by this Yeah, point. we had buses. We you know, had, is the family traveling with you? They're no. still at home? No, my family, I mean, the kids are too little. The, Terry's raising the kids and, and. Um, you and your manager in a bus, how are you getting around? We're in a bus. We're in a bus. At some point, there was two buses, a tractor trailer carrying all the equipment. It was yeah. it really kind of out of hand at some point. Yes, I can. Because yeah. um, we were so, we really were kind of thinking we wanted to have control over the sound and make sure that yes. everything was a quality. Yes. Everywhere we were going. So, can, yeah. so that was the, uh, the <laughs> that was the idea behind that. Amazingly, now we have a guy that advances all that and you can you don't need any of that shit yeah you can rent it all yeah you can yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. were you know flying by the seat of our pants uh but um you know we were doing a little bit of everything we were doing honky tonks and theaters and this and that the success came then by 2004 you know that's when uh television that's when the you know i had uh steve mcpherson from uh 
Touchtone Television came to me and asked me uh, to uh, consider doing a television show. Yeah. And so from about, from 1997, from the time I got the, um, the record deal to 2004, there was just this, you know, fire of... of uh, Growth. Yeah, a lot of things had happened. So where was this new TV show filmed and where was it going to air? Well, uh, it was filmed in Los Angeles and and it was going to be and it was on ABC for mm -hmm. two years. We did forty four episodes and uh, how'd that work for you? I think it was okay. I, I think the concept of uh, there's a lot of people involved in in television and what they say, you know, like if you just do this or you just do that or these numbers are this. I mean, it, it's ever changing. Yeah, you know. There's a lot of people that got their hands in it, you know? And well, they, so you get together with, they come to you and they say, we like what you do. And then want to fucking change everything And then they want to change everything about so it. So when you're on TV, have you got a lot of, have, have they got writers that are trying to influence? I, I suppose what I'm trying to basically ask, let me just fucking say it. Mm. How much are they trying to put the screws on you? You can't say this, Rodney. You can say this. You can't, you got to say less of this. You got to say more of that. How much are they trying to manipulate you of what your show's going to be about? Well, I mean, in the beginning, they said, well, what's the show about? And I said, this is what the show's about. Um, I had met with Damon Wayans and his one of his producers. They had written a script based on something that, an outline that we had written. And um, I didn't like it. And I just said, no, I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And I left. I mean, I didn't have any reason to do, tr yeah. do something that I didn't th believe in or wasn't going to, didn't And feel. you had a good gig going on yourself. Yeah, and it, so it didn't make any sense. And then that's when Steve called McPherson called me and said well what do you want and I said well you're going to have to find somebody that's going to come know what makes me work you yeah. know I mean why are you, it's like you, you don't take the guy that you know that invented Coca-Cola and go we love your product we really enjoy it we're going to put salt in it yes. you know I mean it doesn't work so you got to kind of go with what works and so it was like how do we marry how do we put it on how do we do this and put it on national television and so that's when I met uh producer of my show Rick and we got together and we wrote a script and and that's when it sort of that's that was when we we were probably about three years too late from the sitcom sort of era because yeah. we were 04 05 06 mm -hmm. by then they were the you know shortly thereafter was modern family and everything they were moving in this sort of yeah. you know America's all different mm -hmm. than what you know it is and 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 so the, the idea of the traditional nuclear family type sitcom was sort of kind of going out the door. Yeah. But it was a great, it was great fun. It was, it was, you know. What did it do for your career? The years you were on TV, what did it do for your career? Did it give you a big boost, not much of a boost? No, I don't think it, I think by then we, uh, you know, my foundation was, was, uh, was built from the, you know, sort of. Grassroots. Just the grassroots, yeah. you know. I had the But did it give you a bigger audience? When you went back to the, the clubs and the no. theaters and the honky tonks, were you did you all of a sudden go from, you know, a thousand no. people, two thousand people to ten thousand? Did it No the, it, the 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 show itself, I mean, you know, I mean obviously when you're on television, you know, the things are a little bit bigger and, yes. and brighter and things are happening. But I don't remember things being that much different. Mm -hmm. I felt like we were we were already doing, you know, yep. We were already, you know, where there there was a lot more people that had been watching me that were watching the television show. Yes, that knew, you know. Yeah. So, so that was um, that was. Uh, I didn't feel like I thought that the show itself, they were not, you know, they'd play it for three weeks and then it'd be off for two weeks. You know, oh, yeah. they weren't really. Behind, 
behind it. Mm -hmm. they, 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 we want you to do this. And so it would be three days, three weeks on, off a week, three weeks on. I mean, so it was sort of like I was only focused. I was kind of like I was doing it. I was enjoying it. They paying you to do I, it? I was working. Yeah, I was working with, I had 180 people on the show. And so my dedication was really to them. And I was just thinking about. So uh, did the rest of your career take a bit of a backstage? Like when you're doing this TV show, surely you're not touring the rest of the country as, as aggressively as you were before. Oh, yes, I was. Oh, you were. You were doing Yeah, both. because I, I, I looked at television like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, you're not going to bank all your eggs on it. I was like, I don't know what this is. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my thing going. So yeah. I was leaving on Fridays and flying out and doing Fridays and Saturdays and flying back and mm -hmm. doing the show and and um is this taking a toll on you by this stage mentally, physically, you're tired, you're yeah. not tired, you're yeah. you're exhausted. What is it? Because you know I've been in the first ten years of my career I was on the road forty five weekends a year. Thursday through Monday. And and after ten years it gets you know it gets fucking old. You know what I mean? So mentally, where are you at at this point? You're still enjoying what you're doing. You're burnt out. You're loving yeah. it as much as you used to. Yeah. Um, where are you mentally during this? Because you're you're running fucking full open. Oh yeah. You're I, wide open. You're I running wide open. I remember it being well. It was a really exciting time. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you when you look up and you're like, you know, you go back to the beginning of when yeah. I was like, here I am and you know, my seven minutes and you suck and don't ever come back. Yeah. And then you look up and you're, you know, you, all this stuff is going on. Mm. There's this, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. Yes. It's exciting. But it was, it take, it was taking a toll on my family because they were living in, we were living in two different spaces yes. and we were, yes. you know, just passing in the night. So, I mean, that just comes, that seems to be, Something that I, I mean, that's something that I saw. I can look back and go, yeah, that was probably not the best to yeah. be separated from your family. But we didn't, we both made a conscious decision that we weren't going to just up and move out family of family the whole time. Move out of Tulsa, move to Los And this would be a common thing that all entertainers, not necessarily just in comedy, but all slash quote unquote entertainers would struggle with the same thing. You're on the road, you're traveling. You know, it fucked up my first marriage, to be perfectly honest. I was, like I said, I was on the road 45 yeah. weekends a year. It's, it, you know, women want to be married to a man that's, that they actually see. Yeah. If they're not going to fucking see you, why are they married to you? Well, yeah. You know, you know, and I don't blame her, but we got divorced after nine and a half years and, and the business really pretty much ruined it because yeah. I was constantly gone. Right. Obviously, we were too young. We were kids that didn't know the difference between love and lust. So we had a bunch of other fucking problems going right. on to begin with. We didn't have any kids. But, but I think people underestimate the stress of living on the road. I think people think, this is my perspective. You might have a different one. Mm -hmm. I think people think living on the road as an entertainer, or in my case, a clinician, is mm -hmm. a fun experience. There are parts of it that's fun, yeah. but there's a shitload of work that goes into producing yeah. that show, a shitload of work in traveling, getting there, yes. you know, hotels, mm -hmm. restaurants at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. eating shitty food. There's yeah. a whole nother fucking life of that, that, that people don't know it's there. They see the tour, yeah. they see the show, they see the lights, camera, actions. Mm -hmm. But that's a small percentage of the shit that went on over a 72-hour period of yeah. getting that thing to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you're only, I mean, if you're gone for three or four or five weeks or, or whatever it is on the road, you're, the work is not necessarily, I think, in the shows. The work is in the sitting around and, you know, you're, you're because the hotels just become jail. Yes, they do. You yes. know, you just are, you're just, you, you're, 
you don't have a connection to your yes. to the family back yes. home. So there's you know there's yes. there's inevitably your it's things are going to suffer to some yes. degree. Yes. And so, you know, you're living two different essentially two different lives. I remember one point that fucking scared me a little bit or was a big wake up call for me. It was probably towards the end of the 10 years mm -hmm. is I woke up in a hotel room one night middle of the night, one o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't remember where I was. Mm. I didn't know what town I was in. I didn't know what city, you know, what state. I was completely disorientated. I was sober. Right. I didn't know where the bathroom was. It kind of scared me a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't know where the fuck I was. Right. And that bothered me that I'd stayed in so many hotels over yeah. a 10-year period, yeah. but I didn't even know where the fuck I lived anymore. Yeah. And from that day on, it sounds gay as fuck, but I'll say it, I, I, I leave the bathroom light on and close the door. So there's a little <laughs> bit of light underneath the door. Yeah. So that when I wake, when yeah. I used to wake up in a strange place, which yeah. was everywhere I stayed, right. I at least fucking knew where the shitter was. Like <laughs> take a piss at one o'clock in the morning, yeah. because it bothered me that I didn't know where I was. Yeah. I was perfectly sober, and I'm like, I'm in a pitch black room. I have no idea what town, state. Like uh -huh. people ask me, people would ask me, where are you going next weekend? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Somebody just hands me a ticket. Yeah. I just go. Yeah. I got people that do all that shit, yeah. but I don't think because. If I would look at the whole year, Rodney, it would get overwhelming for me. So I want to ask you how, for me, how I did a big year mm -hmm. was I would just look at one week in advance, mm -hmm. one week in advance, one mm -hmm. week. I ate the elephant one bite at a time to mm -hmm. get through a year. Yeah. When I started looking at the calendar and looked at the overall year, I'd get kind of a little overwhelmed, like, fuck a duck. Like, you know, this is overwhelming. Yeah. How did you deal with the constant on the road? Did you have a strategy? Like I said, I did week, week by week is how I did it. Yeah. Did you have a strategy to get you through those, those really... Well, I had some good people. I mean, I was with, first off, my buddies were, you know, Barry was opening the shows and, you know, my, I had great people around me. Okay. And, the, you know, you have your, it's like a family. Yes. You know, it's a family that your road family, and then you have your family at home. And so, you know, I mean, it was as much fun. You're mm. young, you're yeah. fun. There were so many different new experiences that were happening. You were going to so many different new places. And, and, uh, and it was always feeling as if there was excitement, you mm -hmm. know. There was this buzz and this excitement. Okay. And, and so, so it's not getting old then. It's not getting old. I mean, there were moments when, yeah. you know, you'd run, you'd run hard for four, five, six months or whatever, and you'd just be, you wouldn't know your name or, you know, you were sick of hearing yourself talk, and, mm -hmm. you know, I can remember that. But, you know, uh, shit, you know, I don't care where you're working. At some point, you're going to be, uh, you know, yeah. you get tired of it. But, 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 I mean, there was, I was living the greatest life. It was, it was fun. Mm -hmm. It was really enjoyable. But... But there's no doubt that, you know, over time, now that I'm 54 and I'm yeah. out traveling, I mean, my, I treat things very, I see them very differently. I mean, I, I, I limit my time on the road as much as I possibly can. Yes, I agree. You know, and so, uh, you know, the schedule, Try we try to balance the schedule in some sort of fashion. Do you fly now? Do you fly now? You take a bus? How do you get around now? I fly. Okay. And yeah. then you try to get back into your own home as quickly as possible. That's right. When yeah. you go to the facility or the theater or wherever you're playing, you stand in hotels, you got a bus you've rented. What are you doing? No, no bus. We just fly. <laughs> I fly right to the venue, get, do the show, get on the plane, fly to the next venue, fly home the next night. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. The, um, um, you know, the, it's also too, the, the audience that has grown with me and yeah. who was with me in my twenties, the people that I'm able to see are, are people that have 
watched me over the years, and we've gotten older together. Yes. So it's it's really quite interesting. Do you to, recognize people in the crowd, Rodney? Uh, you know, no, I'm not saying you know their names. Have you recognized faces by any chance that people have seen you multiple times? Oh, yeah. Because I do. I've, I've got lots of people that yeah. have come up in the autograph line, and they'll say, this is my fifth tour. And I look at them and say, why the fuck do you keep coming back? Yeah. It's the same shit. Yeah. See, the difference with my business is, is I'm teaching horsemanship, but it's the same speech. I've been given yeah. the same fucking lecture for 25 years. It doesn't yeah. really change. I might change a few things here right. and there, but it's not like I'm changing a completely different act. Right. So when these people say I've been to four or five of these, I yeah. genuinely look at them, what the fuck are you doing here? Yes. Well, it's the same speech, and they'll say something <laughs> like, oh, you say it differently, or, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I remember things from this one that I forgot last time. And they uh -huh. obviously they're having a good time because they keep coming back. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, but I recognize their faces. I don't know their names. I, I've met thousands of people like you. Uh -huh. I don't remember names. But I sure as shit remember faces. Do right. you remember faces at all? Well, yeah, I remember faces, and I feel much the same way you do. I feel like, what in the hell? When does this stop? Yeah. You know, and um, at, the same t at the same time, there's much gratitude for the fact that you, you know, you get to see, uh, you know, I get to keep doing what it is that I'm doing but, but see, at the same it's hard not to feel like you haven't already said everything that you've said before yeah but you know see, but even if you're telling another story yeah I know. suppose in your mind yeah because yeah. the four times I've seen you I didn't feel like it was the same act yeah there might have been just slivers of uh -huh. things that might have been resembling different things but it was like a totally different show yeah. for me what was hard for me in my career is having the enthusiasm to say the same speech that yeah. I've been repeating for 20 years. <laughs> and I've often wondered, and maybe you could elaborate this, yeah. I've often wondered what, um, what singers, country music singers more than anything, you know, they, they build their careers, they're, they're, uh, they're an A-list celebrity, and then they come back down and they're playing the fucking hard rock cafe, mm. hard rock in Tulsa at the casino. Mm -hmm. and, and they're in their older years, and I've often wondered to myself, how do these guys have the enthusiasm to keep singing the same fucking song they sung 30 years ago? They either do it because they love singing yeah. and they enjoy the process. Uh -huh. They're fucking broke and they pissed away their money on <laughs> ho 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 you know, hookers, cocaine and ex-wives. Yeah. And they fucking have to do it. And yeah. they're at the casino at the end of their fucking career, yeah. you know, doing this shit. Yeah. Or, or they really want to do it. You know what I mean? Because that's the hardest thing for me is to remind myself... Even though I've made this speech 20,000 times, mm -hmm. half the audience hasn't heard it. Yeah. So I got I to gotta have the same enthusiasm. I look in the mirror before I go out and tour now and I say, yeah. Clinton, if this is your last fucking performance, what would these people think? Right, yeah. If, this, if you died tomorrow, yeah. would they say this was an average performance or a great performance? Yeah. And I have to mind fuck myself a little bit to remind myself, I've repeated this 20,000 times, the uh -huh. same joke. Yeah. These half, more than half these people have not heard it before. Yeah. Is any of that go through your mind or oh. how has it stayed motivating for you after all of these years? I mean, yeah, well, the, the having, there gets a point where you, things just evolve and change your mm -hmm. life. Something comes up and something gets put in, but, but there is this sense that they're reminding yourself that there's somebody who has never seen you before. Mm -hmm you know, uh, deserves as much effort as yes. you put in before. Um, <clears throat> I think that whenever you, it's easy to get caught up in working so much that you start feeling as if you can't 
uh, telling the same story or recreate, you know, and mm -hmm. create, making it feel new again. I mean, it, it, it always seems easier when you, you're doing it once and twice and then you get away from it and you've got a little time to kind of let it sort of marinate and come back again. You know, when you're, when you are kind of, you know, out touring and back to a, back to back. Yeah, yeah. Back to back. But, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, there's been many changes in my own. Like I, I want to do specific places now, like theaters. I want to do places where you can get away with the subtleties and story. Like I don't want to do, I'm not doing arenas. I'm no, we're not mm. doing these um, places that we've done in the past. And we're opting, I'm opting to do more shows in a smaller place because I want more quality if yes. I'm going to do it. And I think that's just being, well, I'm older and I want, I always felt like the quality of the venue dictates the quality of the crowd, dictates the quality of the show. Okay. And so now it's, it feels like if I'm gonna do it, it needs to feel good. Yeah. You know, there are some places that you do, well, we can do all this, and we can get all these people in this big giant place, but you feel like you're in this cavernous room and you know, the, subtle, no the, su the subtleties of storytelling mm -hmm. get kind of lost in the yeah. cavernous room. Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily fun, you know? Mm -hmm. For me. Yes. No, I get it. But, you know, yeah. without knowing your bank account, you're, you're doing it because you want to do it now. You're not you're, doing it because you have to fucking do well, it. Well, I mean, there is there is this feeling of, yeah, I want to do it. I don't know how long I'm going to do it, want to do it. But then I think this. I go, well, if I don't do this, what else are you gonna what do? the fuck else am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, but the other part of it is, if there is something creatively, if I get to the point where I'm just going, where there has been this sort of, feeling in recent times of like, well, I don't know what else up the fuck to say. Mm -hmm. You know, first off, the the the, the world in, in itself is far different than when I started. Yes. You know, and so... Has people, that changed the comedy? Has that uh, changed well, what you would say and don't say? I think that people are, I think that people are far more sensitive and far, far more prone to sort of group think that they yes. get on the internet and they're like, yeah, we shouldn't say this or we wouldn't say, it just feels. I feel like, I feel like comedians now in general are under attack as a culture, meaning that, you know, the one free speech, the one place that free speech was at its best was mm -hmm. comedy. Because mm -hmm. every great joke has half of its fucking true. That's what makes it so fucking funny. Well, yeah, you used to Is be. Is it half of it's true and the half of it you just laugh at? And, and comics, especially in this whole walk culture, walk culture and, and cancel culture and all this bullshit have been under attack the last 10 years pretty heavily. I feel like, me personally, I feel like there's a big swing coming back the other way. I feel like now everybody's had enough of the woke bullshit. They've had enough of the, mm -hmm. they've had enough of the bullies. Mm -hmm. We've had enough of this bully mentality yeah. that if we don't like that joke or we don't like something, we just want to take your whole living away from you. Mm -hmm. That's worked. But I feel like that's coming to an end now. I mm -hmm. personally think as yeah. a culture. You know, Joe Rogan opened up that comedy show mm -hmm. in, in Austin. You know, anti-woke bullshit. Right. You know what I mean? I yeah. feel like there's a change coming now where there's guys like him that are so big now, Rodney, you mm -hmm. can't fucking cancel them. No, They've no. got enough yeah. money. They don't give a shit. When they tried to cancel Joe, he just got richer. Right. He gained millions more followers. Right. Which I love because he got to shove it up the ass of all these haters. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... So I, there is a lot of, to me, that was the greatest plate of free speech is that, you know, is it right or wrong, you know, in some degrees, 
if you're not offending some of your audience at, at any one part, oh, you're not yeah. doing your fucking job. I, I kind of feel, I certainly Would feel Would you agree or disagree you with Absolutely. That? You're yeah. trying to touch, if there's every well, race of person, well, every every category of job, yeah. your job is to make a little bit of fun of everybody so that when you make fun of Australians, I'm going to laugh my ass off. Because yeah. next you're going to make fun of the Irish and next you're going to make fun of the Chinese. And, and that's your job is to, uh -huh. to be edgy enough to make everybody have a laugh, and at some point everybody goes, oh, oh maybe, that hit, maybe that hit just a little bit, but fuck, you move on to the next person. Mm -hmm. Would you agree or disagree? No, I agree. I think that, you know, what made it fun for me was, was being able to get away with like we're kind of behind the barn. We're, yes. we're saying things we probably shouldn't be saying, and we're talking about things we shouldn't be talking yes. about. I mean, to me, that was, that was part of the great appeal of being able to share something with a group of people. Yes. And when you go, when I go to places now, the, I think I do have a little bit of a luxury of, of, you know, over being out for so long, having an audience that knows me, they kind of know what they're getting. Oh, they know exactly so, what they're so, getting, so, yes. so you're not necessarily, I don't know how somebody starts today, you know, I don't know how that happens. Yes. You know, and tries to navigate that world in itself. But, you know, the idea that we're going to, uh, start dictating what's, you know, what you can and can't say mm -hmm. becomes sort of something. I certainly feel that sort of thing where I go, ah, I don't know. It gets to where I go, do I have the energy to fucking deal with this? Yes. You know, it, yeah. it's got, it's that feeling. Yeah. It's like, man, I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like, uh, it, it was, uh, I think it's sometimes I feel like, man, I didn't sign up for this where you go out and you have to worry about what you're going to say yes. or who you're going to offend. That's because exactly right. I always tell people, if you learn anything, it's an accident. I didn't fucking, yeah. you know, you know, I'm not here to change your mind about anything. Yeah. Do you, do you have a little bit of the theory in, in the, this is how I do it. I only do three tours a year and uh -huh. I'm pretty blunt about it now. I do it because I want to do it. It's yeah. fun for me. Yeah. So I'm going to act the fucking way I want to act. I'm going to say the things I want to say. Yeah. If you like it, great. If you don't, fuck off. It's that simple. I only yeah. do three of them a year now. I was on the road for 45 weekends a year. So I mm -hmm. do three now. Yeah. And when people ask me, where am I going to go? The answer is, I go where the crowd's fun. Yeah. I go where the crowd accept me. That's exactly I go where the crowd like me being me. Mm -hmm. That's the reason it's called uncut and real raw. If you mm -hmm. don't fucking like it, don't listen. Right, That's right. the greatest thing about America. You don't have to listen. Nobody's got a gun to your head making you listen to this shit. Right. So when I go to a, a place that the crowd is boring or don't get my jokes or don't, mm -hmm. not that I'm a comedian, but I, I put a lot of humor into what I do. Mm -hmm. If they're not into me, fuck it, I don't go back there again. Yeah. And where the crowds are receptive and they're fun and we're all having a good time mm -hmm. and, and, and they, can, they can have a good time with me, I'll mm -hmm. go back there for sure. Yeah. That's, are you kind of at that point of your career where you're <laughs> picking the places that yes. you get good energy from? Well, f yes, f fuck yes. I mean, I'm, I, th I think that I, I want to go where I'm, where I enjoy it. Yes, where well, you're welcome. Where I'm welcome. <laughs> yes. There are pieces of the country where it feels sort of, you know, obviously different. There's, but yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I do, that's what we talk about when we talk about where are we going. I go, well, I want to go here because I like it here, or I don't want to go there because I don't like it there. Of course, that's, uh, that's exactly what's happening right now. To me, now. that's the pinnacle I of I think most career. of what's happening for me in my, in my life is like, uh, moving more to what decisions are moving me more closer to the meaningful moments in my life. Yes. See Clinton Anderson and his down under horsemanship method live. Order tickets now for the walkabout tour in Denver, Colorado on July 29th and 30th and Conroe, Texas, November 4th and 5th. For ticket information, visit downunderhorsemanship.com.
you know, I'm not necessarily thinking about what comedy means or, or I'm not necessarily even thinking about more. Yes. I'm not looking at my life and going more, more, more. Yes. I see people doing that and I Do go... Do you remember when that changed for you? Because I remember distinctively waking up one day saying, I don't want to make more money. And that was a shock for me. Because I'd spent 25 years, got to make more money, got to make more money, got to get bigger, got to get bigger. You know, I... Go, I I at one point had 40 employees. I grossed 14 million a year. The mm -hmm. same year, I lost 375 thousand mm -hmm. dollars. How bad's that? You gross 14 million and you fucking lose that much money. It yeah. was embarrassing for me. Yeah. That was a big wake-up call for me. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, motherfucker, this thing's out of control. This yeah. thing's big. It, it, it got so far away from me, the money, the people, everything. That it, it almost sent me back to Australia with 400 dollars in my pocket. Yeah. So, but I distinctly remember waking up one day saying, I don't want it to get bigger. Yeah. I don't want to make more money. I'm tired. I've had enough of being on the road. I'm fucking burnt out. I'm exhausted. I'm drinking too much. Mm -hmm. I'm eating too much. It's fucked up. I'm paying people a lot of money to manage my money. They're fucking stealing from me. They're embezzling from me. They're fucking it up. I almost go bankrupt. I mean, it's a fucking clusterfuck going on here, okay? Yeah. And, and I made the foolish mistake of thinking if you pay people enough money and they're professional, they'll care about your money like you care about it. Mm -hmm. I disagree now. Yeah. Nobody gives a fuck about your money like you do. Yes. I don't care how much you're paying them. <laughs> I don't care how much incentive they have. Yeah. They don't give a fuck about your money like they do their own money. No. So, so when it got so big that I almost collapsed, yeah. I had a big awakening like this is fucked up. And then not long after that, I was so kind of tired and burnt out that I just didn't want to make more money. I didn't want to get bigger, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. I, and I said, okay, quality now is important to me, mm -hmm. not quantity. Mm -hmm. Did you have any sort of, because you're growing, you're growing, you're growing. Money's coming in, money's coming in. What point did you have a come to Jesus meeting with yourself that, okay, this is getting too big? Or did it never do that? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did yeah. you have a defining moment where you said, okay, this is kind of getting big enough now where I got to fucking scale this back? Or was there anything slap in the face life-wise that made you say, okay, I got to step the fuck back here? Well, yeah, it, it wasn't anything having to do with career. It had everything to do with life. Okay. It had everything to do with sort of, you know, in 2012 when, when my wife decided she didn't want to be married anymore, well, the very foundation of life for me was my family. Yes. You know, and my kids. And so when that crumbled, when mm -hmm. that was crumbling, well, everything around me was crumbling because mm -hmm. everything that, nothing else mattered if that, did, if that wasn't there. Yeah. You know, part of the experience of going out and, and doing comedy was that if I, well, no matter how bad I failed here, I always had this. Yeah. The most important thing in my mind. Yeah. Well, that was gone. So nothing mattered. And during that time was a very, you know, there was a very painful, there was a, I didn't care about anything. Yeah. Certainly not about my health, certainly yeah. not about the way I was living. I, I gained 70 pounds. I was eating, drinking, and carrying on and acting like a buffoon. And, um, and you know, yeah, I wasn't paying attention to anything I was spending, and I wasn't looking at anything. I was just, yeah. I didn't care if I lived or yeah. died, quite frankly, at that point. You and know? would you agree in those days when you're, when you're that low, and I was there too, mm -hmm. you're spending money to give you a little high. 
not so much drug-wise, but <laughs> like you're buying yeah. a brand new fucking $100,000 sports car yeah. because it's going to make you feel happy. And that happiness is going to last about two fucking hours and it wears off. Like for yeah. me, I was buying toys and shit and... And in my mm-hmm. world, I was buying stuff to fix the shittiness that I was feeling of yeah. being burnout, exhausted, divorced, mm-hmm. etc. Would, would you say that was the same with you a little bit? Yeah, I was. I was. I was spending a lot of money on a lot of shit, just taking my mind off a lot of things. But more importantly, what was happening was as I was moving out of this, and my kids were going, getting in college, and coming out, I started looking around at myself and thinking. What did all this mean, and am I the only one that knows that this ends? Yes. I started having this sort of like, what was all this about? Why did it? Why did it happen? Why? 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 why what? What am I? Here? And I started moving toward, you know, uh, I really did. Everything changed in in an instant where I started taking care of myself. I started walking. I started exercising. I quit drinking. I started. Mm-hmm. I started eating good, and then I started to discover that. Quite frankly, after a long period of that, that everything changed. Mm-hmm. It was one deci- good decision led to a good decision to a good decision. And then I started to understand that when you matter to you, everything else matters around you. Mm-hmm. Because like you're saying, when you're not, you've got all these people, when you're not mattering to you and you're in, living in pain and you're going through all that, you're spending money. Well, you've also got people that are mooching the fuck the, off you. That are just pulling off yes. of you, and they don't. They're they're not. The, they're you don't have the. Like, you like don't parasites. have the best people in your life. That's right. You attract they're, parasites. Yes. They're 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 also feed. They're nobody's pulling you off to the side in those moments and going, "Hey, man, this might not be a good." I decision. care about you. Yes. Get your shit together. Yes. And so uh, that's why I always say, Rodney, you've got to have people around you mm-hmm. that are not yes men. Yes. You've got to have people around you that are not on the fucking titty, mm-hmm. not on the payroll. That when you're acting like a douchebag, they'll tell you. When yeah. you're acting like a jackass, they'll tell you. And yeah. you've got to have enough respect for them that if they say that, you kind of sit back a little bit and say, hey, okay. Yeah. One of my best buddies that know me 25 years is saying, mm-hmm. I'm out of hand now. Pull the fuck back. Yeah. And that's, that's where... You know, a lot of the, I know it's kind of stupid as an analogy, but, you know, the, the movie Straight Outta Compton. Do you ever see that movie? Mm-hmm. The guys were rappers and their fucking manager stole all their money and their whole mm-hmm. careers ended up in a big clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. I could relate to that. Yeah. I was never near that kind of money, of course, yeah. and never near that kind of celebrity. I get that. But mm-hmm. my point is, you attract parasites. They're yeah. sucking the fuck off you. I remember vividly... I didn't go bankrupt, but I was, I was this fucking far away from it. Mm-hmm. I vividly remember said, right, I'm going to sign every fucking check myself. <laughs> I was letting people sign checks with a rubber stamp, okay? Yeah. Thinking that if you're paying people $150,000, $175,000 a year, professional accountants and mm-hmm. money managers and all this shit, they got your back. Bullshit. <laughs> I remember the first couple of months where yeah. I went through my own credit card statements of mm-hmm. every employee that had credit cards, and I signed my own checks. The amount of fucking money I'm saving by, what is this bullshit 6000 I vividly remember mm-hmm. a $6,000 bill for advertising. So I go and find the advertising lady and say, what the fuck is this $6,000 a month bill? Mm-hmm. Well, it's these little cards that get mailed out that have got a coupon on it that people can get a coupon to your tour. And I'm like, show me what you're talking about. She shows me. I said, we're spending six fucking thousand dollars a month on this bullshit that's going in the trash. Yeah. Nobody's reading this shit. Yeah. I mean, I, I was shocked when I started fucking the delete button yeah. and knocking shit off. When I started paying attention to my money, yeah. I was mind boggled 
how much money I was pissing away. Oh yeah. And now I'm far sm- I'm making grossing far smaller now than what I was in those big days. Yeah. But I'm making way more money. Yeah. Because I'm actually keeping the shit now. Yeah. I'm keeping the shit. So I sign my own checks. I check my own credit card statements. I fucking watch the money. Mm-hmm. So that was my biggest lesson that people that know me learned is that I got a big bloody nose is that don't ever trust people with your fucking money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so that, I think when you get in, into a certain level of success, you get surrounded by yes men. Mm-hmm. They don't want to tell you no. They're on the mm-hmm. titty. Even if you say, is this a poor decision? They're not going to fucking tell you. Yeah. Well, you know? also, too, when you're, well, one of the things you, you learn is that when you're spending money, you're ensuring that there's a job for everybody mm-hmm. who's behind the scenes. Like, get after it. Buy all the stuff, yeah. you know. And, you know, you don't, I didn't see any of that until I, until I got older. But the, one of the things is that when I was, you're living in a painful place and you're not really, I wasn't necessarily paying attention to any of that. But yes, when it finally got brought, when I finally started asking the questions, let me see at this specific moment in my life, if I was going, well, let me look at everything. I was shocked at just exactly what I was doing. I was going, I'm doing what? Yeah. You know, that everything started to change. And, and, but it also, too, it was, it was, I was clear-eyed for the first time, mm-hmm. you know. I was out of that painful sort mm-hmm. of thing in, 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 in life. But, you know, the, my attention to where it is that I'm going now isn't really related to my career. Mm-hmm. My attention to where I'm going or where I want to be now is, like I said, it's like, what are the meaningful moments in my life? Yeah. What are they? Those, what are those answers for me and answering those questions and walking towards those? So what are There's, they? Can you define what they are now Well, it's, ti- it's time with people that I care about, but yeah. it's also, too, about the continuation of self-care and mm-hmm. self, you know, paying attention to what goes in my mind. You know, a lot of the, th- a lot of the th- times you'll, people say, take care of yourself, but they don't ever say, hey, take care of your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times people will get so hell-bent on it. I can take care of my, I'm losing weight, I'm, losing, I'm doing this. But what are you doing up here? You know, and I think about, I've had a lot of close friends in my life who have left in an instant, you know, mm-hmm. you know, died in their sleep or had a stroke touch, yeah. or whatever it is or this or that. And that's part of life. Mm-hmm. But as time goes on, I think to myself, I go, am I living the kind of life? I ask myself the question, am I living the life that I want to live every day? Mm-hmm. Meaning, am I, am I paying attention to the moments that are important to me? Yeah. Not am I... What am I, what are we doing or this or that? I know that's part of it, but increasingly for me, I feel as if my career and those things are distractions to what's important. Mm-hmm. Meaning I, I go do those and I enjoy, yeah. I enjoy, I enjoy it, but my mind is turning more toward my parents are getting old. Yes. You know, and what does this mean? And sort of that, you know, it's like the, the old man and the old lady feeding the pigeons on the thing and they they're getting it you know they're Mm -hmm. feeding the birds and the it's simple right Mm -hmm. and then there's the guy that runs by with the hair gel and the and the asics tennis shoes and the nike fitbit watch and all the stuff you know and he's running from something and running towards something and he doesn't know what Mm -hmm. and these two people that are feeding the birds couldn't tell that guy shit no but they know Mm -hmm. this is where it's at Mm -hmm. you know This is where life is at. Mm-hmm. It's nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. It's nothing more than that. He is just, it's this, but you know what? As young men, we, 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 all got big we, bounce, syndrome. we bounce all over the yeah. place. I, I said this <clears> to a buddy of mine one time. He had a big construction business and he said uh, he, he was doing 21 million a year and he grew to 52 million a year gross mm-hmm. revenue. And he said he netted less at 52 million a year mm-hmm. than what he did at 21. 
Yeah. And I said to him one day, I said, why do we have to get bigger? And he just looked at me and he said, Clinton, he said, just, we all got your bigger dick syndrome. As young men, we think big is better. We, we think we've got to grow to get better mm -hmm. and so forth. And he said, you know, we, we have to kind of go run off that cliff a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember at one time, when, because I was on planes, you know, all of my career, basically, and uh, <clears throat> I would sit beside people and I would always strike up conversations with who I was sitting beside because mm -hmm. I like to learn from people, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, everybody has a career as a general rule, mm -hmm. a job or a career or something, and you can learn something about what they do. And I remember early in my days when I got over here, I was sitting beside a guy, I, I could tell he had some money, successful guy, and, and I asked him one time, I said, what's the key to being successful in business? And he said, he said, here's the trick. He said, you've got to run hard enough and fast enough to be successful. And he said, but the trick is, right before you get to the fucking cliff, you back up mm -hmm. and, I, and save yourself. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what is the cliff? What's the edge of the cliff? He said, it's divorce. Your kids don't know you. Mm -hmm. People that you love died and you never got to see them. Mm -hmm. Important things to you disappear. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, how the fuck do you know where the cliff is? Yeah. And he said, you don't. That's what sucks. Yeah. He said, usually we have to fall off the edge of the cliff, mm -hmm. hit the bottom and look up and say, oh, there's that fucking cliff. <laughs> and then we go back up the stairs yeah. and we have another run at it. Yes. And if we're smart, and in my case, I wasn't smart. It cost me two divorces. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we know, okay, there's a fucking cliff coming up here. Right, yeah. And he said, that's the secret. Because he said, to be successful and, and getting back to that jogger that was running, I think you do have to run that hard, Rod. Yeah. My personal opinion. You yeah. have to run that hard. If you didn't fucking run the oh, way yeah. you ran, yeah. me and you now in our careers, different industries, but we're at the same point in life, I believe, uh -huh. we have the luxury of doing what we want to fucking do. Uh -huh. We don't have to go to work. We don't uh -huh. have to go do what we do. We do it because it's a choice. Mm -hmm. So with that comes other choices, who you spend your time with, etc. When you're in that young zone and you're running from gig to gig to gig mm -hmm. and you're trying to pay... Peter to pay Paul and you're mm -hmm. stealing from yourself to pay for the next airfare or mm -hmm. next truck fuel to get to your next comedy club, you kind of, in your defense, in my defense, you mm -hmm. don't have time to smell the roses. Mm -mm. There's no fucking roses. They're all fucking dead. Yeah. Does that make sense? There's no roses. We're yeah. living in a ghetto. Yeah. We've got to be hustling here. Mm -hmm. There's roses now because we're old enough to fucking put the bush there. Yeah. and grow the son of a bitch. So, yes, yeah. I think that's just the phase of life, Rodney, that we're in now. Yeah. And people ask, what's the greatest thing about being retired? It actually is not the money. It's the fact that you get to choose who you interact with. Mm -hmm. You get to choose who you do business with. You get to choose how much time you take off. Yeah. Where when you're young and you're broke, which unless we're part of the Lucky Spoon Club, which most of us aren't, mm -hmm. you don't have that fucking choice. Yeah. You didn't have a choice what comedy club you were going to go to in the early years. You just had to go. If they were willing to pay you enough gas money to get there, you went, correct? Yes. Yeah. Now you have a choice. If I call you up and say, hey, you want to do my birthday party? If I'm an asshole, you're not showing up. Yeah. If you like me and, and we agree on a price, you're coming to my birthday party to do a little bit. Uh -huh. Correct or not correct? Well, I mean, at this point? Yes. No, I'm not coming to your birthday party. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do birthday parties. You get my drift, though. But I get what you you're get, saying. You get to have I a think, choice. I don't think you ever really retire. Mm -hmm. I think what happens is, is that your mind changes. You, your, your life sh naturally shifts. Yeah. You know, whenever, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I, when I was going through this sort of, am I the only one that knows what it, what this is? I sold everything that I have. Tell me about that. No, like you woke up day and said, "Fuck it, I'm selling everything." Well, I st I sold everything. I, I when you say everything, what do you mean by everything? I mean where I said I sold every single thing that I have. They came and picked up my shit and sold 
Uh, you had an auction? What did you have? That I had a state sale while I was alive. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're the yeah. only asshole who has an estate sale while you're still alive. I was alive. But, but now, so. you're divorced by this stage. You're oh, divorced. yeah. Well, what, what, what it was was, you know, here I have a 20, you know, all this all this 20 acres with a big eight-foot wall around the whole thing and, you know, and people working for me all these and all this stuff going on. And and I'm, my kids are grown. And, you know, I, I finally now I'm kind of, I'm in this period of walking and sort of... You're getting healthier kind of mentally, yeah. physically. And so my mind is just moving to a different place. Why do I have all the, this shit, this yes. stuff, this thing, this clutter? Yes. And they came and I had them pick up everything. And I, I left, I moved from this 8,500 square feet to, to a 1,000 square foot apartment. And uh, I think everybody, my kids were certainly like, Dad, are you okay? What's going on? This kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know? And I just, I wanted to feel like what it felt like to own nothing for a while. So yeah. I could get my, I could find out from what was inside of it. I wanted to, I wanted to be back where I was. Yes. In that truck. Yes. Where you were I, broke, but you were happy. I was where I was like, well, yeah, where I had was nothing. Is that right or wrong? I don't want to yeah, put yeah, words no, in your no, mouth. You I were was, broke, but you were having the time I didn't have any, yeah. And so... I wanted to feel like what it felt like again. Like I almost felt as if, you know, when my marriage split up that I was going to continue this sort of these dreams that, you know, mm -hmm. you're not going to rob me, that I'm going to finish all these things I want to finish, maybe to some sense. But at this point in time, I was really just sort of like, I, I want a whole nother direction. I mm -hmm. want to start from a place of, you know, I want to start from a place of what's important. Not, you know, what I, yeah. what do I need? At this so, point, you so, kind of figured out material things don't make you did happy. Not, did, there was and nothing. And they don't. They, they, they might be a Band-Aid on shit. No. And I bought everything to make me feel happy. When no. I was in those low spots, I bought every fucking thing I could buy to make me feel happy. Yeah. And, I, and I understand when people say, you know, people laugh and say money doesn't mm -hmm. make you happy. That's, yeah. that's truly true to some degree. Yeah. Is that buying shit is just a temporary Band-Aid. Mm -hmm. So I can identify with you saying you wanted to get back to... Yeah. What was important. Yeah. Not the material things. Nothing. Not, nothing. I wanted to get rid of everything. Yeah. You know, the difference was is that I had resources. You know, I, yeah. I left everything and then I was like, all right, I want to sit. I want to really figure out what do I want? What is important to me? I wanted to ask myself from a standpoint of pure, mm -hmm. in a place of pure peace where yeah. I go, I, I started walking every day. I took, went to this apartment with a bed and a picture uh, of Santa Claus that I bought from Hobby Lobby that I'd owned for about 10 years. And, I, and, and, you know, when you were a kid, you know, as when you believed in Santa Claus, everything was possible. Yeah. You know, from about the age of three to the, about the age of 10 or nine, whenever it was, I opened a closet door, saw some toys, you know, a week before Christmas. And I go out and my mom's like, look what Santa Claus brought. And then you do the math and then you realize your mother and you has yeah. been fucking lying to you all these years. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, you literally just... And then your whole life crumbles. <laughs> because what have you been doing? Because what else? But the next question is, bitch, what else have you been fucking lying to me about? Yeah. <laughs> there becomes this sort of, you know, everything was, you know... When you in that moment in and your fuck life, the Easter Bunny everything too. was we're talking about everything lies, was fuck the Easter Bunny. Yeah, everything was everything was when you believed in Santa Claus, everything was possible. Yeah. And so there was this sort of. The moment where I'm sitting in that apartment with the bed and the Santa Claus and everything is possible, but it wasn't this sort of, there wasn't this sadness or this sort of, mm. there really was this attempt at moving to another place in life. Yeah. I think that when you're growing in your life, and I think this happens for everybody, I think there's just a natural shift from the creek, from the rock you're standing on yes. to another. Every decade. I think, I think you're just, you're slowly moving toward you're just an old chunk of coal, and you're, if yep. you're doing it right, I think you're yep. 
you're knocking all the pieces off until it just becomes this. Yep, I agree. Ma maybe not the shiniest diamond, but there's just a little something special. And, and what because you when I end, when I end, it isn't going to be when things come to. I don't, I'm not thinking about my career as some yes. legacy or thing like that. You know what I what I want to be is just a good man. Yeah, and yeah. a good dad. Yeah. yeah, and a good friend. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, if you could go back to a 20-year-old Rodney now, or even 18, but 20, and you could give yourself advice, assuming you'd fucking listen, because mm -hmm. we may not have listened at that age. I wouldn't have listened to myself. If yeah. you could go back and tell yourself any advice to learn from, what would it be? Well, I, you know, knowing what I was at 20, I, I, I mean... It doesn't I, necessarily have to I, be I, about I, business. I, I, it could be about life in general. Don't get married. Have more kids. Have less kids. I hey, think, you know, if you could give yourself one or two big lessons as, hey, Rodney, like, just give me an example. I, I tell young, young people this. 20s to 20 to 30 is the decade to build your career, decade yeah. to get your shit together. Uh -huh. You're the energizer, bunny. There's no decade in life where you're going to have as much energy from 20 to 30 or maybe 10-year-old to 20-year-old. Mm -hmm. But that 20 to 30 is a big decade. So I tell young people, this is my opinion, opinions like assholes, everybody go, don't get married, don't have kids, build your career, mm -hmm. get your base, mm -hmm. build your, your skill set, whatever you're going to do to make money and build your career, that's the decade to run like a motherfucker. Mm -hmm. You're never going to have any other decade in life where you're going to have that much energy. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get married, you don't get somebody knocked up, you don't, get, you don't need to get divorced, after 30, have 15 fucking kids, I don't care. Get married 18 times, turn Amish, who gives a shit? But don't fuck those things up in that first decade mm -hmm. would be my advice. What, mm -hmm. If you had to give yourself some advice like that, here's the top two things, Rodney. Don't fucking do these things in your 20-year-old in your Rodney. What would you tell yourself? Um, don't look outside yourself for your happiness. Okay. Be more specific. It doesn't, nothing, if you're chasing anything outside of what's inside of here, mm -hmm. you're always going to be chasing something. You're never going to be happy. Okay. Approval you know, from others you're talking about? Anything, whether it be anything, whether it be, if you need anything, if you need anybody to be a certain way for you to be okay, if you need something in your life for you to be okay, if you need in some, to be in some place for you to be okay, that's not, you're never going to find it. Mm. It's always going to be in here. It's awesome. It's always going to be inside you, you know? You have to turn inward. That's where you start changing. You wouldn't have never realized what you were going through had you not looked inward. Mm -hmm. what, do, yeah. what do I need to fix? What yeah. do I need to change? That's when you start fi finding wholeness. That's mm -hmm. when you start feeling whole again, you know, by looking inward. Because when you're chasing something or you need somebody to be a certain way, you can't have it. The reason why friendships work is because you allow them to be who they are, when they want to be at yes. any given time. Yes. You love them because you love them. Yes. I don't need you to be this in order for me to love you. Yes. I don't need this to be in my house for me to be okay. Yeah. Right? Those yeah. things. You just learn that over time that all this stuff in the world, it's all distractions, you know. The, 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 mm -hmm. the meaningful parts are, life is nothing more than what's happening right this minute. Mm-hmm. We're having this conversation. Yes. It's nothing more than this, mm -hmm. you know. We may not be here tomorrow. That's exactly right. You know. So I like that. I like that. I think that that's, that's what I think as I say when you look outside of yourself for, for your happiness. It's not. Anything? You'll never find it. How come I can see all the goodness in your life and you can't? Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things that I recently told my oldest son who was struggling in this and that. I said, man, look at all the good in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, we can get up in the mornings and you can start looking at all the shit that's wrong. See, that's what I think is And cool. sometimes I do. Yeah. 
Sometimes I get up in the morning and I see all the shit that's wrong. And then I, when I feel like I, there's a bunch of shit going on that's, where I, all I can see is wrong, I go for a walk and I start trying to... It, I, I sometimes tell myself, don't talk to anybody until, you know, give it till noon or two. Yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes because you just feel as if you are, you know... Your thoughts are sort of, they're like ping pong balls. Yeah, they're all in the And I always say, you got to let the ping pong balls kind of settle. See, it's, what's, you know? what I think you have an innate ability to do, and you mentioned it earlier on, is you might, you might have done a 10-minute comedy bit, and nine and a half minutes of it sucked in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But you had 30 seconds of laughter, mm -hmm. 30 seconds that gave you a little fucking hope that you could do this. Mm -hmm. You didn't focus on the nine and a half minutes that sucked. <laughs> you focused on the 30 seconds that was good. <laughs> Yeah. And it kept you going, correct? Mm -hmm. They're your words, not mine. They kept you going. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's cool. Yeah. A lot of people can't do that. Mm -hmm. They'll focus on the nine and a half minutes that sucked. Mm -hmm. And logically, that's what you would focus on, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, you know, you logically, would. it's okay, 10 minutes, nine and a half a minute sucked. Let's focus on that. Right. You focused on the 30 seconds that was good and mm -hmm. you built on that. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, if I can't get 30 minutes good, let's just get 10. Yeah. Let's just get two. Yeah. Find something that you can find. I have this in my business and my teaching on the horses. Find a starting point. I don't mm -hmm. care how fucked up this animal is. Find something you and him can get along with. Mm -hmm. Find some starting point. It's always like you can get to the top of Mount Everest. You know how you get there? One fucking step at a time. Mm -hmm. If you live long enough, you'll get to the top one day at a time, one step at a time. Yeah. So you've kind of, from outside looking in, I think as a general rule, you have a very positive outlook on life. In, in the, and not, not, not that you didn't go through some dark points. We all do, mm -hmm. okay? But you have a natural disposition to say, okay, there might be a few things fucked up, but there's some good shit here. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on that good shit and keep building on it. Yeah. Because nobody really gave you that. Your parents didn't give you that from the sounds of it. Your friends didn't give you that. That came from inside you, Rodney. Well, I think that victims are victims. You know, you can't change a victim's mind. He has mm -hmm. to change it for himself. Yes. If you're in that victim mentality, which is like there has been a space in my life where I was in that sort of... But it's, it's your responsibility to come out of yeah, it. Yeah, get the fuck out of it. you got to get out of it, yeah. you know. And if you stay there, you can never fix... If you know somebody, if you got a friend who's in that... You can't fix that for them. They got to be part of their own fucking they rescue. They have to they rescue say, themselves. You got to be. You got to be part of your own rescue. Yeah, because if you try, try if you try saving somebody from themselves, you'll enable them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I just found that you know the that you know I, that's coming from my own self. You know, yeah. I'm talking about like when I was in that space, I had to find myself. I had to go. I'm not this. I didn't get to where I had to remind myself. I didn't get to where I was in places in my life being in that sort of mindset. Yeah. But I can see how you can get there. Yeah. Very like much I can so. I can see how any human being can get there. Anybody can get yeah, there. Yeah, especially when you're surrounded with yes men, your family's falling apart, etc. Uh -huh. You know, if you could go back and give yourself some financial advice because on this podcast <laughs> we talk I still we, wouldn't know what to tell we, me. We we talk <laughs> when I say financial advice, I'm not talking about where to invest, but but we talk about shit that people don't want to talk about. Money's important to uh -huh. people. And I've got a, I'm hell-bent on making sure horse trainers don't end up broke. I don't want to see them old and crippled and good people. <laughs> and they pissed away their fucking money. Mm -hmm. they, they've made poor decisions. So in my case, my, my bad Achilles here was I didn't check the money enough. I uh -huh. should have. I have an expression. Employees will do what you inspect, not expect. As a general rule. Nine out of ten employees... Mm -hmm. 
They will do what you inspect. When you inspect what they're going to do, they'll have it up to par. Mm -hmm. If they think you're never going to check them, they think you're never going to follow up on mm -hmm. them, they'll fuck you up the ass. It's yeah. as simple as it gets. Yeah. Now, one out of ten won't. They'll do what you expect no matter what. They're just built that way, okay? Mm -hmm. So financially, like I said, I got too big. The money got away when I referred to that movie straight out of Compton. Mm -hmm. Even though it was a whole different level from what I was doing, mm -hmm. I can understand how those boys went broke. They were on the road singing, well, rapping, yeah. And their manager was fucking robbing them blind and mm -hmm. fucking them over. Mm -hmm. Even though it was a movie, I could very much relate to that because mm -hmm. I was on the road making... I was always really good at making money, Rodney. Mm -hmm. I was shitty at keeping it mm -hmm. for a lot of years. Yeah, Great at making it. It'd come in and fucking truckloads. Yeah. But I didn't have the resource... I didn't have the people that had my back. That was one of the negatives when I got divorced. My first wife, even though we didn't get along real well, she sure as shit had my back financially because we were back to back in this business. I went and made the money. She sure shit saved it and made sure it didn't get pissed away. Mm -hmm. Once I divorced her, I never got somebody that really had my back with the money. I had mm -hmm. some great women in my life. I want to make that very clear. Some good, genuine women. Mm -hmm. But they were never involved in the finances of my business. Mm -hmm. so, so like you said, your manager, when he had the expenses come off the top, it was his incentive to make sure the expenses were low. Oh, yeah. You know, he had a, he had a vested interest in making sure that that if it was a hundred grand gig, there wasn't fucking 99,000 of expenses because he, right. he was splitting the grand with you, wasn't he? Yeah. So my Achilles heel was the money part of it as I didn't really have anybody having my back for a good 10 years there with the money. So is there anything that you, so my advice was always check the money, always sign your own checks, always <laughs> check your yeah. own credit card. Is there anything money wise that you could say, hey, if I could go back and give myself some fucking advice, don't do this, do the more of this. Well, you, you, you said it earlier when you had friendship, you need somebody that's not a yes man. Yeah. You need somebody that's gonna tell you the truth mm -hmm. and then you need to be willing to listen. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's real simple. Yeah. I mean, that's how. I don't think that. That's person, how I cured my ills. You, you know, was that man. person on the payroll? Because I think it's hard for that person to be on the payroll well, and give you that Well, I don't think honesty. payroll, I think they're not the payroll. That That's just, my point, yes. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I think that you've you got to be able to decipher who's telling you the truth and who's not. And that can be hard sometimes. You know, well, yeah, it can be. But a lot of it, too, you know, when you put yourself in those positions when you've got people around you who won't tell you the truth, you don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. It's not until you decide to, it's kind of like going off the cliff theory. You know, yeah. you got to be the one to make the decision. Yeah. I'm not going off the cliff. I'm going to stop right here. Yeah. You know, you can look around and you see, when you see things happening, you have to believe your own eyes. And then you have to make changes within your, what you did, mm -hmm. you know, which I did, you mm -hmm. know, coming out and making decisions that were, that are bold. You know, it's something when you go selling every single thing that you have, see, there's a freedom. There's, there's a fucking genius to that. There's a real freedom with that. I can just speak for myself. There's a real freedom. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a week where you kind of go, what the fuck what the did fuck I just <laughs> do? Yeah. I got one the, pair of underpants and one pair of fucking socks. There is a week of that, you know. <laughs> but there is this sort of freedom, you know, that has that, that comes more with shit, it. More shit is just more shit to take care of. Yes. Like, like I used to think back in my silly days buying <laughs> shit, if I wanted a fucking truck or trailer or something I wanted, I just buy it. Yeah. I never used to think who's going to service it, right. how much is the insurance, mm -hmm. where's it going to live, what happens when it breaks, who's mm -hmm. going to fit, you know. I never thought about those things because mm -hmm. it just you just wrote a check and it disappeared. Mm -hmm. Now as I'm older, I'm like, do I really fucking need it? Because who's going to service it? What's the insurance? I just start asking questions that I never would have asked Rodney under a million years. You know what I mean? Yeah. And bigger's not better, you know.
I live in a 2,000 square foot home. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's small. It's just me and the dog. I fucking love it. Mm -hmm. I can afford an 8,000 square foot home or a 10,000 mm -hmm. square foot home, but who mm -hmm. the fuck wants it? It's yeah. more shit to clean. It's more shit to insure. It's more shit to be empty. You know what I mean? There mm -hmm. is a point where you finally realize more shit doesn't make you happier. Yeah. It actually, what it does is, is it drags you down because yeah. you got more people saying, give me, give me, give me, give me money, give uh -huh. me attention, give me uh -huh. time, give me resources to make this still stay good. Yeah. I, I'm quite happy with my 2,000 square foot home and I fucking love it. Well, you realize too, what the, anything that you grab a hold of is gonna create, is gonna take away your time. Yes, it is. Time, and, time and, and our health is the only thing we've got now, isn't it, Rod? Yeah. Really, when you think about it. Anything you grab a hold of, but they also think, the other thing too is that I realized what it is I was good at. Yeah. And what I wasn't good at. Okay, and so when you realize what you're good at, which is, look, I know where I'm the creative guy. Yeah. And when you go, I need somebody in this position to tell me X. Yeah. And yes, you do need to sign the checks or be able to have an accountability where you can look at it and have, you know, sort of, you know, that's a given. But you do, you need to realize what you are good at and what you're not good at. Mm -hmm. And then you need to bring in other people who are smarter than you. Surround yourself behind with the people, yes. To tell you what Very the hell you're so. supposed to do. Yes, yeah, surround yourself you with know? people where you're weak and yes. you'll be strong, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the next um, five, 10 years look like for you, if you can describe it? You still want to keep touring? How many tour, no. How many public events are you doing a year now, mate? No, I, I don't know. Uh, this year's pretty steady and full, but I can't make any decision past that. Okay. You know, like, uh, what are you doing now, 20 a year, 30 a year, No, 10? no, no, we're gonna do 80. Oh, 80, uh, that meant. 80 to 100 this year. Okay. Potentially, something like that. It's still like it, it has been, but it's been. So that's like two a week, for Christ's sake. No, it's like uh, 40 weeks, but there's sometimes three days, three, we're doing three days a week, so mm -hmm. I'd say 85 dates, maybe, maybe. It still sounds like a lot, Rodney. But I got I two weeks off and two weeks, you know, and then yeah. three weeks on and two yeah. weeks off, so I mean, there's, but, you know, what's going to happen, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like I'm looking, I, I feel like things are, other things are more interesting to me. Yes, you know? I get that. I think I'm, you know, I think I'm entertaining what is next? I don't know that, you know, I've been doing this 34 years. I've had a great time. I'm still doing it and having a great time. You know, I went out this weekend and, and saw 6,000 people and, and, uh, and I love it. And I, and I love seeing, you know, I'm getting to, I'm really enjoying seeing people come up, you know, and that have come out for 25, 30 years and, and we're older now and we're sharing the same things that we, mm. so, you know, if there's something, if I feel like there's more that, you know, to say or, you know, I think that there's going to be room for... Is for, it easier uh, or harder for you to change the comedy, the bit, you know, the, 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 the act? I, I Is don't, it easier or harder? I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's anything other than my interests are changing. Mm -hmm. I realize that, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, if you go by statistics, 76 is the number we all... You yeah, know, the average man yeah, is yeah, gone, right? Yeah. So if you got that, well, I got 21 years left. Well, what do you want to do for 21 years? Do you really want to go out and work more, be on yeah. the road more? I mean, these are the questions I ask myself, and the answer is no. Mm -hmm. And so as I think about what I want to do, I think about, I'm asking myself, what other interests do I have? Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to go sit around and I'm not going to go just go play golf every single day. I'd, in three months, I'd be going, what in the fuck am I, I doing? Wondered, I, crazy. I wondered for you if the shows have got better for you or more energy for you 
because you don't have to do them. I don't have to do, I do the three tours a year now because I want to do them. I think. Uh, I don't have to do it. And because I don't have to do it, I'm kind of having a blast yeah. doing it. I'm being me, saying mm -hmm. what the fuck I want to say. Yeah. I have a little joke. I say, hey, if I've offended you, you've got to lunch to get your fucking money back. After yeah. that, it's all mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got from <laughs> noon to four, noon, uh, you got from nine to noon to get your fucking panties in a ward, and after yeah. that, fuck off. This yeah. is who I am. I'm having a blast touring now because I'm only doing what I want to do. Yeah. So I can't speak for you, but I'm enjoying the tours that I'm doing now where I don't have to do them. I'm doing because I want to do them. Yeah. So for you, you don't have to tour. I suspect no, you could, I think you could stop is... touring tomorrow and financially yes. be good for the rest of your life. Yeah. So because of that, has that changed your mindset at all? I think less is, I think less is what I'm enjoying. When, okay. I ha when I'm doing them and... You know, if I because eighty to hundred still sounds like a lot of fucking tour. No, days. it's it's a lot. I mean, it's too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I don't see that being the case. I don't see it. Certainly not next year. But I think that whenever I get a good quality of time off, a couple of two or three weeks, and I get to go back, it's fresh to me. It's yeah. fun. But I think that my interests are undoubtedly changing about what it is that I want in my life, and mm -hmm. I think that that it's going to increasingly move towards what's meaningful. Yeah. And it's really and what's meaningful is going to be more about. You know, the simplest moments in life. You know, 99% of our life ha happens in the mundane, which is just getting up and going to brush your teeth, mm -hmm. making a pot of coffee. Mm -hmm. Most of the, those things that we don't really pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that I sort of entertain in my morning life and mm -hmm. my daily life is like, you know, how do you find joy in the mundane pieces of your life? Mm -hmm. Which are just simply being. Yeah. It's being able to sit without having to listen to anything, you know, yeah. or see, you know, or, or look at something, you know. I mean, I think there's so much information coming at us at a thousand times. We have to, you know, that's the thing that I think about more. It's like, man, I. it seems like we're living in sensory overload, Yes. you know, to some degree, yes. you know. And so uh, while I, I really enjoy the performance part of it, I don't quite know what the fuck to tell anybody anymore. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? Yes. It's I mean when you're when you're having to dis when you're having to fucking question what is a man and what is a woman, yeah. these these crazy things. Yeah, yeah. We used yeah. to disagree on shit that was yeah. that made sense. That's exactly right. But yeah. th but things are just so we could, we could, fucking. There was a day when we could all agree. This motherfucker's got a dick and this one's got a pussy. Yeah. They're different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We could agree on the, on certain things. Now it's I don't know what the I don't know what that is. Navigating that, I always if if something. If I feel like I have more to say and creative, then I feel like there's going to be room for more to oh, do. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, you know, you've dedicated your life to making people laugh. You've got a great story. You know, what people can, I hope, take from your story and what I'm taking from it is, mm. again, we live in the greatest country in the world. Mm -hmm. You were fucking poor. You're broke. You didn't have a great home life. And I'm not yeah. being an asshole when I say yeah. that, but you didn't have a great home life. You did something that I've never heard any other human being saying. You not only faced your fears, you went towards them. When you went to that, mm -hmm. the, uh, yeah. the acting place, whatever it was, the college, mm -hmm. and yeah. you did the dance class, and you did these fucking goofy things, yeah. it made you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you did it to get, the only way you get comfortable is keep doing it to it wears off. You get right. desensitized to it. You know what I mean? That's a good point. And That's exactly. you keep fucking doing it. You ran into uncomfortable situations, and mm -hmm. most humans don't do that. And mm -hmm. that's what you need to do to get over it. You know what I mean? Like, I think I continue to run into uncomfortable And situations. I think that's a fucking great quality. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so amazed that nobody taught that. That was innate to yeah. you. Your parents didn't say, boy, do the uncomfortable shit. Do the hard shit. You did that. 
you, you made people laugh. You started from nothing and you worked your ass off and you became successful, financially successful, etc. Sure, you got a few bloody noses along the way, mm -hmm. but that's what we want to hear here is that yeah. people understand sometimes you, I got to say you got to sometimes you got to get a few bloody noses to figure out how the fucking playground works. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, and then you come through those bloody noses, you figure out some what the rules are, etc. And I'm hoping people and then you know, you're finished now and now it sounds like relationships are more important to you, mm -hmm. moments are more important to you, etc. Mm -hmm. But you have the right to choose now because you've done the things where when some arsehole wanted you to go yeah. fifteen hours away, you didn't have a choice. You had to go do right. it. You had to go fucking eat. So you yes. went and did it. So You've been a great inspiration. It's another example of the American dream. Mm -hmm. One thing that pisses me off is people shitting on this country. Me being, a, you know, basically an immigrant. I came yeah. here as an Australian. I'm a citizen now. Mm -hmm. I wanted to become a citizen because I love paying taxes to my country. Mm -hmm. I love honoring the country. And mm -hmm. it is the greatest country in the world. So it, I take it personal when people shit on this country. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's not as things that are perfect here. Yeah. But there's not fucking things perfect in any country. True. And if you think this place goes sucks, go live in a real shithole country. You'll mm -hmm. soon see how great this country is mm -hmm. for what we are. So I, I get a hot button about that, but you can get ahead if you're willing to do the things that you fucking did. Yeah. And I just admire that you kind of did that in in yourself. You didn't have great mentors by the sounds of it early on. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have people guiding you. I've always been attracted to older people in my life because even when I was 20, I was attracted to people that were 45, 50, because I like learning from them. I mm -hmm. like asking them questions. I like learning from yeah. their wisdom. I like, now at 47, they're starting to die, unfortunately. Yeah. And now I'm starting to mentor a lot more younger people. We're giving them as much advice as I can do to help. But yeah. I'm hoping people will listen to this podcast, get a few fucking chuckles out of it, Come see one of your shows. I've been to four of them over the years, and they've all been great. We've had a wonderful time. I'll come back and see you again. But you're a great inspiration, American dream, and being real about some of your struggles here is what people like to learn from. Because I think mm -hmm. people, when they see you on television, they think that your life is just all fucking rosy. And they think that you don't put your pants on like everybody else does. Mm -hmm. And I, like my the joke that I say, everybody shits their pants once a week from coffee every <laughs> once in a while. You get what I'm saying? We're all fucking human, okay? Yeah. So when you admit to that, we all get down on the same basic level. Is yeah. This is what it is. And this podcast is taken off. The guests that came on, just like yourself, mm -hmm. were willing to be genuine, mm -hmm. willing to be real, willing to admit they got a few bloody noses, they shit their pants occasionally, and this is what they learned from them. Yeah. And people could identify with that. You know, so thank you so much, Rodney. Cheers to you, brother. Clinton, thank you. I really you. appreciate it. It's been a great story. I'd love to have you come back in another 10 years and see where the fucking <laughs> chapter's at. And, uh, and next time you're in my area, I'll be coming to you. And if anybody's watching, you got to go see Rodney. But cheers, mate. Cheers, thank you, buddy. Brother. Thank you, Clinton. Good to have you. Thank you. Today's episode was filmed and produced by Intercut Productions. Marketing by Stuart & Associates and organized and administrated by Down Under Horsemanship. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a rating. Follow us and stay up to date on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. See you next time, mate. Cheers.